For the Motor City Maniac, the wit from the mitt, the Great Lakes Grandmaster, the Motown Madman, the Mittens Killer Kitten. We ran out of nicknames. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, of course. It's, of course, a good morning in Michigan where we are. Broadcasting live from the bunker in Ann Arbor today because we're going down to campus to shoot a video. Uh, tweet me at S. Crowder if you're in Michigan and would like to be involved. Of course, everyone knows the controversy where American Sniper was banned on campus because it's offensive and now it's back on. So, this morning, so today we've got some great guests. Firstly, we will have Rachel Jankowski, the girl who got American Sniper put back on the air at U of M, Michigan. And then, of course, we uh, have Ann McElhinney, who Fundip loves because he has some some fascination with people from the UK. Oh yeah, yes. So, but I'm what I'm really yeah is not a word. Not uh, I don't know yet. I haven't had a whole lot of coffee. You're always correcting my grammar, yet you say yeah. It's colloquial. It's stupid. Continue. Hey, hey, the way I figure it, if the Beatles can write a song that has it in it repeatedly, it's good enough for me. If you were figuring, you wouldn't have figured that. I'd have figured that. I'll tell you right now. But I, what I'm worried about is that, that does that girl not like Paddington Bear? I, you know, that was a, the other movie. I'm a good fuming question. about that. I want to know. This is true. Well, Fundip knows Paddington Bear all too well. Don't reveal it yet, Fundip, but Fundip is going to be a part of our video. By the way, uh, I'm on Twitter, at S. Crowder, and people listening terrestrially... I know not a lot of you aren't on Twitter, but people listening on the podcast, Fun Dip Dan, at Fun Dip Dan, you can follow. And we'll actually get something up at ladderwithcrowder.com. We just want you to follow us. We want you to engage with us. We want a conversation, folks. So a lot has been going on this week. The U of M is obviously something that's important. I feel like Fun Dip Ann Arbor is often at the center of national stories. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's more so than Detroit now. I feel like Detroit, you kind of know, yeah, some, some guy got mugged. Um, but Ann Arbor, there are a lot, specifically on campus, it's a real free speech problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, it, because it's such a big college and it draws students from all across the world, you're going to get a hotbed of activity of, of, you know, teenage morons. Right. Well, after a slow couple weeks of news, as we were talking about, this week there was quite a bit. Uh, Michelle Obama went on Kimmel. Uh, of course, we have the Walter Scott shooting, which, let me just say right off the bat, cop is wrong looks like he's going well i think he's wrong i hate to be hypocritical a lot of people got really mad when i said online i think this cop is wrong but you know what do we know here what do you think you're i'm gonna unfollow you crowder how dare you think what what do you mean think i what's you're not allowed to think what, what could possibly be more reasonable than saying i haven't seen everything i think the cop is wrong i'm on your side but as we've seen in these cases Sometimes something comes out that changes the game. Yeah, occasionally you can look at something and say, hey, you know, what the usual problem is may actually be the case. You know, because a lot of people say all cops are racist. Well, no, some of them might be. Or all cops are going to shoot you without thinking. No, but some well, of them Well, the might. problem with that, the problem with the all cops I are hate racist. All. Right. The problem with the all cops are racist is that it creates 
probably more police brutality and a more unsafe environment for both cops and citizens, and particularly black Americans. Because when you go with that narrative, you set it as a race narrative. It's black versus white cops. Black kids inherently think that white cops are evil. They feel uncomfortable. They're more likely to act out. And, and listen, let's be honest. Yeah, there have been, there's been some, some constants with these police attacks where every, uh, every victim... Every criminal has been a black person, and the cops were white. Yeah. That's true. There's also another constant. Every single one of the victims either attacked a cop or ran away during an arrest. Yeah. Doesn't make it acceptable if the cop is using too much force. Tweet me at S. Crowder if you think I'm wrong. Doesn't make it acceptable. But I do. Th- if this were an Aesop fable, it would be, look before you try to beat up a cop. <laughs> or run. You know, I don't understand that. I've been pulled over for speeding or for having a taillight out, or uh, today I found that my brakes are almost out. And I didn't get pulled over today, but when you get pulled over, stop! If some if a policeman is yelling at you, don't run or I'll shoot, don't run! Well, I can't imagine referring... We've talked about this in the show so many times. I can't remember, ref- remember... I can't imagine referring to any police officer as anything other than sir, let alone... Uh, uh, you know, trying to pull a double deke on him and run around. I mean, what do you? How do you think it's going to end? Yeah, it should. Got... It shouldn't be a death sentence. Please let me make myself clear. Tweet me at Escrowder. It should not be a death sentence. But how did you think it would end? And here's my question. Here's a genuine question out to people on on Ladder with Crowder. Um, I was going to say we can have you call in, but the problem is you callers, you just go nuts on air and you make no sense. And we love you, but like you know, sometimes I feel like the people listening. Generally, the people who are interested in listening are not the ones who are most interested in hearing themselves talk, so that's why they don't call. The people who call just want to talk, 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 and I was like, ah. So tweet me, at S. Crowder. Here's my question, okay? If a perp was warrants out for his arrest, in this case, right in the, uh, uh, not Scott Walker, Walter Scott. They're so hard with these names. They're all so <laughs> generic. Okay, in this case, with this shooting. Now, it looks like the guy was running very slowly. The cop could have chased him down. But if a cop is trying to catch a perp who has warrants out for his arrest, right, and he runs, full pin, um, the cop doesn't, maybe he lives in a small town where there isn't backup in the area. What's the cop supposed to do? Now, I don't think that he should shoot someone in the back. I'm not saying that. But genuinely, it's a question, what is a cop supposed to do? And people go, oh, just chase him down. Listen, you're talking about young, athletic guys. A lot of cops are overweight. They've got 20-something pounds, uh, you know, the bat utility belt with bat shark repellent on their uh, on their waist. What, what What's a cop supposed to do? Tweet me at Ask Crowder. I genuinely want to know, how, what, what is a cop supposed to do when someone who is a repeat offender who has a warrant out for their arrest is just bolting. Because it seems to me that if a cop can't do anything, a lot of criminals will just go, oh, geez, I got caught. Well, I guess I better get away from this one scot-free. Boom, 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 boom. Just sprint. Well, hey, if he's got the utility belt, throw the batarang and nab that guy. That's right. You put that up on yeah. Twitter. Fun dip Dan people. Uh, it, it's it's just it's a tough question. Obviously, it shouldn't be a death sentence, and I hate to see people killed. I. I just, I feel like this is one of those things. This is going to go online. People are going to talk about this. And it's going to be Stevens a racist who defends cops. Uh, when honestly, hey, Fundip, you're, you're, not, you're not necessarily conservative. That's why we have to have a conversation here. I feel like what I'm saying, I think what I'm saying is very reasonable. Yeah, people just need to do their best to behave. The cop needs to behave within the parameters of his job. 
the the potential perp needs to behave within the parameters of society. Right. And nobody anymore behaves. Oh, behave. Oh, be- <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> we are terrible. Uh, you know what? Let's let's uh, let's take this one home for a bit because we're going to come back, talk Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, transgender bathrooms at the White House, and we're going to have uh, our guest actually, Mrs. Rachel Jenkowski, who got American Sniper put back on at U of M. As far as I'm concerned, she is a national hero. Louder with Crowder. Do not turn that dial. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You are listening to Louder with Crowder, and I am in studio here in the studios in Ann Arbor, of course, Wham Radio, Detroit, Ann Arbor, all of Southeast Michigan. Livonia, Ypsilanti, everybody. Everybody. What's funny is um, Detroit is the big city, so when we tell, you know, obviously it's it's all across Detroit, so you say, you know, Wham Detroit, but Ann Arbor is such a more vibrant city as far as discussion Yeah. that people don't realize, and the studios are... are I probably shouldn't say this after the Muslim Bakery video. I probably shouldn't tell people where the studios are. Yeah, yeah. The studios are located in Belleville. The studios, well, if you want to find the studios, if you are angry at the Muslim Bakery, okay, um, what you're going to do is you're going to go down uh, Packard. (laughs) Go to me. You're going to take a left, and then you're going to take a right at Go Fornicate Yourself. Those are the streets where you will find yourself. It's on our studios are on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. <laughs> right next to the old Superior Buick. By yeah. the way, killer, killer to the break. I told you you were like I can't make kung fu fighting work. I said just find a way to make it work, Fun Dip. It, it would not work coming back from commercials because of the structure of the intro of the song right. but going to them. You I'm brought like, it in a little late though. Well, yeah, it because I didn't know how long boy. you were going to talk. Uh, For right. the first time, you never know. But now that you know that that intro's in there, the the place to stop talking is where it goes boom. The place the place for you to stop in. talking is now. right about now <laughs> because of my show. So uh, we will we will be sitting there and talking with Rachel Jenkowski again, exclusive here, Wham Studios about the, the the American Sniper controversy at U of M. There's a lot I want to say, but I want to discuss it with her. And, of course, we'll get it up at louderwithcrowder.com. Please, if you're listening, go to louderwithcrowder.com. Uh, we just ask you, listen, everything we do is free. You don't have to pay to subscribe to anything. But going there allows me to make a living. It allows us to keep this show going, get it, getting it to you completely independently, completely free. So please do. Set it as your homepage. We're doing several stories a day. We get all the news you need and and none of the the, the crud that you don't. But this week... Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Rand Paul got into a bit of a tussle. You heard about this fun dip. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be talking with Ann McElhinney later, of course, creator of Gosnell Movie, the biggest uh, Indiegogo campaign all time, well over $2 million, uh, talking about the horrific abortion doctor. Now, the things that he did, she'll talk about this later today, and, and she, she gets choked up. I mean, I pre-taped that segment with her because it's so upsetting, and we, we didn't know exactly if we could make it through it. Um. Kermit Gosnell is, a, is, is probably the greatest serial killer America didn't 
didn't even know about. They were running with scissors, performing abortions all over this clinic. Uh, Babies were swimming for their lives in toilets. These were live, viable infants, babies. And uh, they were being killed. And technically illegal because it happened outside the womb. Well, Rand Paul this week basically threw out a challenge to Debbie Wasserman Schultz saying, Tell, find out if she believes in abortion in a seven-pound baby, if she thinks it's okay to terminate that child inside the womb and have her get back to me. Debbie Wasserman Schultz came back. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz said, let me bring this up actually. Funny, I'm going back to my site to bring up the story because I want to make sure I have the exact right quote. Here's an answer. Schultz said, I support letting women and their doctors make this decision without government getting involved, period. End of story. Oh, the only time where little Debbie doesn't believe in government intervention. All right. Without government ever getting involved, period. End of story. So she's saying abortion up until birth. Do you understand that the only difference between the horror and what's illegal with Kermit Gosnell and what Debbie Wasserman Schultz is supporting is a technicality as to whether it's in the mother's tummy. Do you realize that these babies, when they go in to terminate them, even before we get this far, that babies will curl? Like, picture a boxer when you're going to the body, curling in to protect his ribs. These babies will curl to protect their body as the scissors do their work. I'm sorry I'm being graphic, but you need to know. I'm not going to get too graphic if your kids are listening, but this is a conversation you should have with them. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is saying, all of this is fair game. Your move, Rand. It's very important for you to understand that. And what this also proves to us is that leftists are anti-science. Because you will not find one doctor, not one single doctor who will tell you that a six-month-old baby isn't viable, doesn't feel pain, doesn't have a central nervous system. You won't find any doctors who work with preemies who don't believe that those babies have rights. It doesn't matter. Here's the thing with abortion. Well, what about the, what, when is it viable? At what point does life begin? Well, what about the, what about rape? What about incest? Even when you pin them down and you say, okay, no rape, no incest, okay? None of that. Six months in, seven pound baby. Should it be okay? Yes. Abortion is sacrifice at the altar of self. Even when you pin leftists like Debbie Wasserman Schultz or Elizabeth Warren down, they say, you know what? It is a life. It is murder. But I don't care anyway. It's an inconvenient life. That's what's so key here. This is, science doesn't matter. Doctors' opinions doesn't. We're not talking about the morning after pill, which, of course, I'm against because I'm pro-life. Now, oddly, I don't mind the morning after pill. I, I don't like abortion. I don't believe in it. But the morning after pill for me, I don't see a problem. Well, that's a discussion for another time. But you do see the point here, Fun Dip, is that when you nail them down and you remove all other variables, it shines a light on the fact that it's just about idolizing personal convenience. Oh, yeah. You can totally see that. That's what this comes down to. And the only difference between the blood-curdling screams and the blood literally dripping from the walls in Gosnell's horror house and what Elizabeth Warren supports is a mere technicality as to whether it's an innie or an outie. 
And I think that is so important for people to see. That's as close to evil as I can imagine. I mean, if, if killing what you believe, what you know to be live babies is not evil, what's evil? I just, I can't, I can't imagine. I, I, I can't think of anything else that would be uh, evil, if not that. I, it's one of those things, I, I, I find myself at a loss for words, but it, it really does prove that, that Debbie Wasserman Schultz is anti-science, and you have women who cheer for her, cheer for this. Again, we're not talking about maybe two months old, you know, even though the fingernails and the personality develop very quickly. You'll have moms who've been pregnant. I mean, they'll, every single one will tell you by six months where Debbie Wasserman Schultz still supports termination. But most mothers will tell you by, you know, three, four months, they feel the personality of the baby. Oh, you can totally get that. I mean, just putting your hand on, on my wife's belly when Ben was in there, and he, he was born prematurely. It, it, it was, yeah, I'm shutting my mic off. Okay. Well, we love you, Fundip. I know, see, Fundip is, a, Fundip is an emotional guy, and I can imagine, can imagine what that's like. And for someone to say, that's not a real person. For someone to say we don't care. Either way, I'd rather be I'd rather be happy than that life live. Is is so dark to me. It's it's one of those things that I just think is 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 so clearly. And I, I know I'm repeating myself, but you can tweet me at, at S. Crowder if you think I'm wrong. So clearly shows the evil of the left. And by the way, this isn't just Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Barack Obama's the worst offender. A lot of people don't know about the infanticide in Illinois. A lot of people don't even know this. It was so horrid that you couldn't sell it on media because it wasn't believable. Babies in Illinois were being born, okay? They were surviving abortions. They were survivors. They were being born, and they were being thrown in linen closets. Doctors were saying this. They were throwing babies in linen closets. They were, they were crying, alive, in linen closets, screaming for their lives. And they were thrown in there, or they were thrown into wastebaskets to die, Okay? It came before the state legislature, and everybody voted to pass a bill to protect these babies. Democrats, Republicans, unanimous said, this, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. We need to protect these babies. One person said no. Barack Obama. He said no. Now, his argument was that there were already laws in the books, right? There were already laws in the books, so we don't need any more laws to protect babies. On the book, they're already on the books, but they, they clearly weren't effective enough because they weren't working. This was happening anyway. Now, in this situation, Barack Obama could have, like he'd done hundreds of times, voted present. But in the face of babies being born and thrown in waste paper baskets, Barack Obama didn't say present. He was passionate about that enough. He was passionate about these babies being killed enough that he said, no, they deserve to die. I'm your president. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle. Or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you 
you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today, 844-297-WINE. Everyone loves to dance to a happy song, Louder with Crowder. I am your host, Stephen Crowder. Louderwithcrowder.com, where you can get these podcasts if you're not hearing them live, or you can subscribe on iTunes. It's all free and available. Please do support your local louderwithcrowder.com. Okay, so before we got to the uh, the break, some pretty heavy dialogue there. Fundip uh, lost it a little bit. It's okay. I'm a wuss. Oh, it's okay. Listen, that's the difference between what we do here and, and, and a lot of other radio programs. Yeah, but I feel like Beck when I do that. No, it's different. There's no, I mean, I'm not saying that Beck isn't genuine, but there's no there's no grandstanding. It's just a conversation. For example, we have uh, Rachel Jankowski who's coming on after the break here who, who puts American Sniper back on U of M campus. She asked me, she said, do you have any, any pre-questions you can send me? And I said, you know what, we don't do that. Remember when we had that... Um, a certain politician who shan't be named rhymes with ring rich. Yeah. And they were like, can you send us the questions? We go, no, listen, you either want to come on the show or you don't. And by the way, we're pretty fair. We, I mean, we had a terrorist on, we let him speak. We've had vegans on who believe in, in the elimination of the human species. We let them speak. And then we have, then we have people like, you know, Dean Kane and McElhinney. Uh, I mean, we've had a, a who's who of, of guests on here. The weird thing that surprised me, I think, the most was the terrorist guy seemed like a kind of a nice guy on the phone. He seemed like a nice guy on the phone. Yeah. yeah. He appreciated that we actually let him speak. Now, for me, that's just, I believe, giving him enough rope to hang himself. Yeah. If you listen anywhere else or you do the whole TV news thing, it's just... You're bad for America. You're and no one listens. And I'm going, hold on a second. This guy has some crazy ideas. This guy really does believe in in submitting all non-Muslims and converts to servitude, to dimitude. He believes in killing converts. He's open about it. Let him speak. That's your best argument. But so many people just, they feel like if they're not talking all the time over a guest, they feel as though they're not important enough. And that's not your job. Your yeah, job I, is to... I've noticed that uh, even, I think when I was reading uh, Limbaugh's book years ago, he mentioned that the most important part of this show is me. You know, and I think that one of the best things is the subject matter. That should be the most important part. Right. What you're bringing to the table, not the fact that you're at the table. I think I think that's true. Obviously, if someone like Rush is brilliant and and he does great work, and people tune in to hear Rush's take. Oh so yeah, people are tuning into the podcast or here live to hear the take on the news. But but especially with a guest, I've heard hosts say, "I'm not going to let the guest do my job for me." I'm going, "Well, you're 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 a nuclear physicist. You're a you're a biochemist. You're you have a a, a double you know major in kinesiology and and human you know and physics. I mean." Really? You know all of these things that there's no one more qualified who could assist you in your learning process in life. Yeah, the guest brings their knowledge of a specific subject 
to the microphone. Well, think about this for a second. Everyone, you know, Fox News, not CNN, Fox News, uh, Drudge, everywhere, they're talking about this U of M story. Now, I know a lot about it, and I'm even a Michigan guy, but I'm not going to have the kind of insight that this girl who's coming on will have about what happened, why it was banned, how she got it back on the air. There's no way I could know that. So, of course, I should have her on. Uh, By the way, I'm sure you've seen this. um, Transgender bathrooms at the White House. So, just for those of you who knew, gender-neutral bathrooms now at the White House. I saw the uh, Reagan picture that you put up, and I really don't think that he would have a problem with it. I mean, he worked in Hollywood for a long time. I'm sure that he had to deal with, you know... Hollywood types. Oh, sure. That was a joke. It was a joke meme. People can follow me at S. Crowder. But just so you know, I mean, it's one of those things that the, 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 the transition is happening, shall we say, at the White House. We have gender-neutral bathrooms here at Wham, so anyone can use them. Well, as long as yeah, they work they're single here. bathrooms because there's six people. Listen, yeah. the <laughs> polls still true. show a majority of women, and particularly young women, don't feel safe in, in, in bathrooms like that. So we've talked about this before. We don't need to get into it again. Uh, but if the White House is going to act as though they are doing what is popular with a majority of Americans, they're not. Most women say, I, I just don't, I don't feel safe with it. I don't feel safe with it, and I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. That's just the way it is. They don't care. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, we talked about. Oh, you, um, okay, before we get back to serious stuff here, because we had a pretty intense conversation about abortion, and Ann McElhinney is going to come on. It'll be pretty intense, too. I was in Florida this weekend. Now, what were you doing in Florida? My family, uh, my in-laws have a place there in, uh, oh, I don't want to say where, but on the Gulf side. And, and honestly, I didn't really want to go. And, and um, <clears throat> not that I don't want to visit them, but I've been so busy. I'd, for me, traveling that much is more exhausting for a day and a half, you know, two days and just staying home and doing nothing. Yeah. Traveling seems like work when you travel for work. Right. I'm just done with the traveling. But I will tell you this. I, I, I wouldn't go in that water. I would not go in that water in the ocean. Too dirty? No, not too dirty. Florida is a nightmare. Uh, I So I'm going, and they're like, ah, go into the water. Okay. So first off, there are all these, you know, like giant snails. We call them beach brains. These are not the technical terms. They're washing up ashore. They're big. They're goopy. They're everywhere. So we're, you know, my wife will just grab anything. She'll just, like, grab these things and pet them and throw them back in, you know, an oyster, <laughs> starfish, anything. She'll just grab. She'll touch. Um, and then I see stingrays in the water, and then I see a guy reeling in, a bull shark, right off the shore, and then, and I'm going, oh my god, I mean, this is just everywhere, and then I see, I swear to you, a free-swimming giant crab, not crawling, in the middle of the water, swimming sideways, like this. Very strange. Right at, right, right at, you know, three feet, right at pecker level. That's like, if I go in... That thing's just going to... We don't need to dump that. You can say that word. Do uh, not hit that dump button. Are you sure we can say you that? You can say that word right at Schwanson level, okay? <laughs> Sideways, I'm going, oh my... Uh, bull sharks, stingrays, and then alligators in Florida. Okay, let me tell you this. There are more alligators in Florida than I've ever found squirrels anywhere. Squirrel? Anywhere. I could go all day. You could find me a pond out here. When I was a kid, you know, being raised in Montreal and then and, and Michigan, I could go all day looking for a for a, a damn box turtle and not find it. You could probably find red ear sliders easier than a box turtle, though. Anything. 
you're looking for a turtle, you're looking for a snake. I could spend all day. I could not walk 20 feet and not accidentally stub my toe on an alligator in Florida. I'm glad I only stayed 24 hours. It is a nightmare. Stingrays, bull sharks, sideways giant swimming crabs, alligators everywhere. I mean, you just drive down the, you just drive down the, 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 the road. Gators all over the road. The one thing that I did notice and I did really think was cool about the Florida wildlife, we were driving the car going to a Lily Allen concert, and there were probably five volleyball places filled with native wildlife. They were amazing. I can imagine it was amazing. I don't. I just said oh, I'm not going into man. the water. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why anyone would go into the water here in Florida. I don't. It's one of those things you see it on a postcard. You go, oh wow, it's beautiful. Look at the water. When you see it, it's an absolute nightmare. I'd rather go in a pool anyway. I've, I've literally had nightmares that were quite similar to that, <sighs> where I was in water surrounded by dangerous wildlife that wanted to kill me. I was scared to death to go to Florida. My friend said, "I'll buy the ticket to see one of my favorite artists, Lily Allen." If you buy the plane, uh, airplane ticket and come down. So I said, all right, I'm going to venture into Florida. I was afraid of the palmetto bugs, giant roaches. They sound like choppers in an Arnold film. Oh, it's scary. But I didn't see any in person. But in the airport, he's holding up a sign that says Martin, and it's got... <laughs> Palmetto bugs photoshopped all over the oh, sign. Geez. So I, I'm like, oh, ah! and he starts laughing. But yeah, Florida, Lord. 24 hours. I was in, out, saw a concert, came home. And we know people are listening from Florida. Thank you. God bless you. But I am not going in your water and I'm not using your voting booths. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's still one of the, Al Gore won the election of voting booths in Florida. Mm. It's still something liberals hang on. Could you imagine, I've thought about that, if Al Gore were president during 9 11? <sighs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan of George W. Bush, certainly certainly on fiscal policy. I don't think he's a conservative, but he was a wartime president. Yeah, he was at least a patriot. Well, during wartime, I was thanking God that we had a Texan like George Bush in that White House and not Al Gore. I, I can't uh, I, I can't imagine Al Gore being there. Sometimes you just sit back and you go, gosh... Imagine if just one thing had changed. It kind of goes back to the future. You know, you change one thing and it starts a, a, a nonstop chain reaction. Yeah. Or 13 monkeys. Or butterfly effect. Butterfly effect. Ugh. Ugh. Not a great film. Why do you point to me? Like, at what? You think, like, I would know it because it's Ashton Kutcher and something like... I don't know. All my favorite films are classics. Anyways, we will talk about uh, Obama's <laughs> Easter breakfast remarks, of course. And uh, Michelle Obama was on Kimmel, too. So we'll talk about that after the break and then have Rachel Jankowski, the lady, the girl, who saved American Sniper at U of M. Lotta with Crowder. Stay tuned. You are listening to the strangest animal on radio, the internet, the world. You've got it on Louder with Crowder. It's what we know. 
We know so much, but we do know that you're listening to a strange animal and that my mic stand is being ridiculous. Well, there's a little thing on the side. Just tighten that up. Those wi- wing nuts. There, there we go. go. We got it going. We got it going. See, when I'm in my home studio, everything is easy. It's kind of like when you have your coffee at home. You get used to certain things. Yes, it's always perfect. You know, you make your coffee. You make it perfectly. There's no, you know, the kind of whether you like half. I like a little bit of half and half. Fun dip likes nothing in it. But you go somewhere publicly, it's not the right temperature. They give you that chalkboard creamer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't even know who uses that or why they use that. And if you do, we don't want you as a fan. Um, That's a little harsh. uh, No, none of that chalky coffee prefab creamer. We don't want anything to do with that here. So, did you watch the uh, the presidential, uh, uh, did you see the Obama speak at the prayer breakfast? I watched a portion of it, but much like uh, many people, I can only stomach him in small doses. That's pretty much everybody. I, I... um, so difficult. We don't have the clip queued up, so I'll just read it for you. So a few things. Most most notably, this was an Easter breakfast, and Barack Obama decided to take a subtle jab at Christians. He said, I'll try and do my, my Obama here, so we'll make it. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> now, now uh, on Easter, I do reflect on the fact that as a Christian, I'm supposed to love. And I have to say that sometimes, when I listen to less than loving expressions by Christians... I get concerned. He said, but that's a topic for another day. Okay. This is an Easter breakfast. Why do you feel the need to take a jab at Christians at an Easter breakfast? And listen, far be it from me, and I've written about this at the uh, louderwithcredder.com, far be it from me to defend all Christians from imperfections. Everybody's messed up. Christians, you name it. Well, that's the basis of, of of the faith. That's the whole reason for Christ in the first place, is that we're all imperfect. What's important is the context here, that President Obama felt the need to say this, that he's concerned with less-than-loving expressions by Christians at a prayer breakfast on Easter. Now, I, 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 I'm not a psychologist... I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't write prescriptions. Can you imagine me with a, the right for a pill pad? <laughs> but this is an example, I think, of compulsive anti-Christian behavior. Yeah, I mean, even I, an agnostic who's like going around trying to figure out if God even exists, know enough not to say something that stupid on Easter. Well, on Easter, two Christians. And one, you, know, you have to ask yourself, if he feels the need at an Easter breakfast— to take a jab, to make sure to say, like, well, Christians really, they're really concerning me. If he feels the need to condemn them within this context, how do you think Barack Obama speaks about them behind closed doors? Yeah, like on an average Tuesday right. afternoon or something. When no one is around, maybe when he's surrounded by world leaders who would like nothing more than to see us, along with the Jews, exterminated. Do you think Barack Obama's all of a sudden going to uh, decide to grow a pair and stand arm in arm with his Christian be- brethren? Or do you think, do you think maybe... I don't know, maybe his true colors just get to shine there. If he's doing this at Easter with Christians, how do you think he is when they're not around? I still think, and everybody says, oh, no, it's not real. It was just a slip-up of the tongue. But the example of him being interviewed, I it might have been Diane Sawyer talking to him, and he says, well, everybody wants to know about my Muslim faith. And I'm like, right then and there, he said it without hesitation, without pause, so comfortably that that, to me, is the real faith that he carries in his gut. I, see, I don't think he's a Muslim. 
um, and that's one thing people get really mad about. He's not nearly disciplined enough to be a Muslim. And Muslims, by the way, as much as you know, we disagree on that, they want to blow us up front. Um, they do. They are very pro-life. They are very pro-traditional marriage. They would be very much in line with, um, you know, the family values of of the Christian faith. Just like a lot of, I'm trying to think of other religions that would. Um, I know not Scientologists. There really aren't many. I mean, Buddhism's kind of a fake deal. There's really no. It's situational ethics. Um, Hinduism is the same kind of thing. It's your own nirvana. So yeah, but but Islam is is one of the few religions that does have right and wrong. The problem is their right includes a lot of violence. But there's a lot of common ground. So people say, but you know, they talk about uh, takia. I, I don't know how you pronounce it, but there's there's the rule in Islam that you can lie. You're allowed to if it's during a time of oppression or time of war. So people say, well, Obama's secretly a Muslim, and he's just enacting his, his Muslim right to lie to deceive us. It's like, yeah, I don't really think he was thinking that far ahead when he was banging seven gram rocks in college with his communist professors. <laughs> Hanging out like Charlie Sheen, having a good old time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was sitting there going like, I'm going to really fool these Christians when I become president. I just don't believe that there was that kind of foresight. So he he may be an atheist or an I agnostic. I just think yeah, I think or... he's an agnostic. I think he's a whatever's most convenient for me today. Yeah. I honestly, I mean think about Islam, you know, he this guy is is not just pro abortion, he's radically pro abortion, the gay marriage front. Um I'm trying to think of what else the gay marriage front. I mean he, every He switched sides on that one. He did. Yeah, he did. I remember I was at an audition this is a while ago for a sports show, and uh, I was sitting there, and they knew that I was on Fox News at the point at that point, and they said, "Oh, so you're with Fox News? Uh, so what are you blah, 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 doing this whole deal?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I am." I said, yeah, "What about Mike Huckabee?" I said, "You know what, Mike Huckabee?" Because I was around comedians, I said, "You know what? He's actually a really, he's actually a really funny guy when he gets to know him. He's a really uh, funny guy." They go, "Yeah, well, what's funny about him? His views on gay marriage?" <laughs> and I said, "Do you mean exactly like Barack Obama's?" Because this is before the switch. Yes, this is yeah. before the switch. There was it was identical, right? It, by the way, you want to talk about a, a, a contingency of voters entirely against gay marriage, black Americans. They now, why are, is that? Some of the coolest gay people I know are black. That's so rare, man. I mean, you found a unicorn when you find those. There's not a lot of them. I mean, when I see when I see black gay guys, and I, I mean, God bless them, they're usually sweethearts. I go, like, who are your who are your friends? <laughs> I guess Fundip is his friend, but they are not treated, generally speaking, very well by the black community because culturally, there's that deeply rooted, you know, very religious sort of Southern Baptist background, and um, they are not very open or accepting of the gay lifestyle. That's a general rule. Lafayette was one of my favorite characters on True Blood. Loved that character. I, I've never watched True Blood, but... Oh, um, I met Anna Paquin. What a sweetheart. Mm. Absolute doll. She's weird looking to me, though. Oh, I think she is so cute. I'm not a huge fan. I will say this. Um, actually, I won't say it. So, The point is, let me summarize this. <laughs> this president not only goes against Christian principles on a regular basis, right, with his policy... Not only is this the only man in our history to support infanticide to the level that he has, not only has he turned his back on uh, the greatest ally Christians have in Israel, not only has he buddied up and bowed to leaders of rabidly anti-Christian nations, but President Obama even felt compelled to take a jab at Christians at a prayer breakfast on Easter. That, that, that is low. That is compulsive anti-Christian behavior at that point. He, he has a compulsion to say something. 
Uh, by the way, our other producer, Jared, is locked out right now. So Oh, man. I don't know. It's, this break's going to come in automatically, I think. Yeah, when we, get to the, when we get to the top of the hour, Jared, who is listening somewhere, I will let you in. We have Jared. Actually, he's bringing our guest in, but this is a fortress here at Wham, <laughs> where you cannot get in. You can't even blow your way in with a, with a rocket launcher, so we have to go and let him in. don't go trying, people, because I know you will. Yeah, some people from Dearborn. You come to my bakery? I come to your studio. By the way, with the Muslim bakery, uh, I, I followed followed this up with Dana. I gave her an exclusive at lotterwithcrowder.com. Um, I love her new haircut. She looks great in her new haircut. Man. But her husband's listening. Watch it. Um, <laughs> my point there, by the way, some, some, some conservatives are saying, you should sue. You should. That wasn't my point. Listen, I am defending Muslim rights just as much as I believe in defending Christian rights to operate their business freely in the United States. Yeah, I got... That's what I took from it. Yeah, I was... And I'm, obviously, I defend Muslim rights until they infringe on other people's rights, like subverting our legal systems or beating their women. Those things are not legal, despite what they try and push in Dearborn or stoning Christians. They did it at a music festival in Dearborn. But if a Muslim business wants to say, hey, we're not going, if they want to say, we're not going to bake cakes for a Christian wedding, I think the Muslim bakery should have that right. It is not a mere. It's not something that's already on the shelf. No, it's not. Listen, they have no business being forced into making Christian wedding cakes. So I stand and defend rights across the board. And I hope we've made ourselves consistent with that. So when conservatives, they try and jump. This wasn't a sting. This wasn't gotcha journalism. It was entertainment. Some of them were nice and served me. Some of them didn't. The point is, all of them should have the right to act exactly the way we did. Right after the bait, Rachel Jankowski of University of Michigan. Do not miss it, Louder with Crowder. Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. So glad to be back. This is a weird, screwy setup this morning. We're in studio, live in Ann Arbor, actually, with Fun Dip, of course. Fun Dip Dan, you can follow him, and our wonderful guest who does not have a Twitter. Let me introduce her really quickly, and then we'll just get right to it. Rachel Jankowski. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. I got that right. (laughs) Who is the girl, a hero, who got American Sniper put back on at University of Michigan? So... Again, we were talking about how we hate it when hosts just try and take over the guests. So tell us the story. It's a national story now. American Sniper was going to play at University of Michigan. Take it from the top, baby. (laughs) All right. So uh, every Friday night, um, the University of Michigan hosts UMix, which is a time for students to be able to come out. It's an alternative to going out and drinking on campus. Oh, Um, very nice. Yeah, it's a time uh, they have events where they host movies, uh, they'll do open buffets, anything for students. And so this particular Friday, they were going to do American Sniper as the movie. Um, Unfortunately, there were a group of students who started a petition or a letter um, on Tuesday, and they reached out to the Center for Campus Involvement at the University of Michigan. And the Center for Campus Involvement is the group that puts on this event. Um, And they said that they were going to be offended by the movie um, because Chris Kyle, yeah, because Chris Kyle is a racist, and because uh, the movie perpetuates negative and misleading stereotypes. Did they actually say he was a racist? Yes, they did in their letter, and they said he was a mass murderer. Um, And so. 
the university, uh, I think within 24 hours of receiving the letter, canceled the movie. And they said that because uh, people were going to be offended and disturbed by it, that they were going to not show it. And instead, they were going to show Paddington Bear. Yeah. Um, so at that point... Uh, Which, by the way, nothing against Paddington Bear, but I think he hates America. I love Paddington! <laughs> uh, I thought it was actually a pretty funny move on the part of the University of Michigan. We couldn't handle the emotions of American snipers, so instead we're going to go with Paddington Bear, a PG right. movie. Um, so... Uh, like a number of people, I was pretty upset when I heard about it, and I wanted to turn that anger into uh, turn it into action. So use that passion for actually something good. So I started a petition, um, and I went into the Center for Campus Involvement, and I asked them if they would reinstate the movie, and they said they would not. Um, and I told them that I'd be back later, and I'd have at least 300 signatures because that was what was on the original letter from this group who was opposed to the movie. Now, th- this group who was opposed to the movie was it uh, was it. L- a Muslim group, or was uh, it led by? It was led by the Muslim Students Association and uh, a number of Muslims who here, signed the movie. Here's my the point here, okay? Now, it would seem to me um, that if you're a Muslim, you would want to distance yourself from the terrorists that Chris Kyle killed. Yeah, exactly. Like you should be go. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. We are Muslim, but good for you. You killed the bad ones. <laughs> they don't represent us. Exactly. And instead, they're like. This is wrong. He had no right killing them. Right. You would think they'd want to distance themselves from ISIS, from ISIL, from Al-Qaeda. Groups like that, terrorist groups, and denounce them and say that that these groups are actually spinning their religion um, and making it into something that it's not. And instead they're denouncing people like American soldiers like Chris Kyle who have fought for their right to even be able to petition the student government and to petition the Center Center for Campus Involvement. Um, And it's it's pretty scary when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Well, what's crazy is, like you said, it was led by a Muslim, but I'm sure a lot of people who signed on weren't Muslim. And uh, under in Muslim countries, those people, their opinion would mean nothing. They don't get to sign on under Sharia law. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to sign this petition. Go away. Go away. You converted. You're lucky we don't kill you. Um, sorry. Listen, I am the one who is horribly discriminatory. Not our lovely guest, Rachel Jankowski. So you, and then unrelated, the, the U of M football coach, who's obviously this major celebrity, said, we're going to be watching it anyway. They did an about face. Now they're showing both. But a big part of that was you got those 300 signatures. How hard was it for you to get those signatures on campus? Oh, absolutely not at all. Uh, So we started the petition, a group of students around, I think, 10 in the morning. Uh, We had 300 signatures within the first few hours. Um, We got up to almost 600 signatures, and that was by the time that uh, Coach Harbaugh came out and said that he would be showing American Sniper to the football team, and he's proud to be an American, and he's proud of Chris Kyle, and if you don't like it, then so be it. And I think at that point, uh, we actually never reached out to him. Uh, he took it upon himself to you know, make a statement on this issue. And uh, at that point, I think that's when the university realized they really screwed up. And I was actually pretty impressed with the university because they came out and admitted that they made a mistake. Uh, they apologized for it and they reinstated the movie. So I was pretty happy with that. That is pretty sweet. Yeah. And actually, have you seen American Sniper yet? Oh, yeah, of course. It's a great movie except yeah. for the fake baby. <laughs> you, you can't I know. get over the You f- cannot get around that one. It's <laughs> like, like... why did they, did they just like... It seems like last minute the script supervisor yeah. was going, crap, fake baby. He yeah. just got a cabbage patch. <laughs> I think they had enough money for yeah, it. I know. Clint Eastwood's got money, oh, so come was, on. You know, <laughs> the one thing call. about Clint Eastwood is he bring what he does better than anyone is he brings out great performances. Yes, he does. And that's because he's an, as an actor, you know, that's how I started one take. I mean, I was on a film set one time where the guy would do 15 takes because his background was director of photography. And so for them, he's looking at the, i got to get the focus of the lens right. And he doesn't even care what's going on mm-hmm. with the actors. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I had a scene where I had to cry. And I was supposed to be very emotional. And by the time you look at the film, it's, it's, not, it's not that scene anymore because he can't do it more than once. Right. Anyway, off track. But <laughs> So this is happening on university right now. Um, 
your is it is it okay in me sort of outing you as you lean to the right? Oh uh, yeah, that would be correct. Okay, I just I don't want to. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's pretty obvious. I think. How hard is it for you to be on a campus like U of M? Um, so I went to the university for undergrad as well as for law school. I'm in my second year of law school oh. at the University of Michigan. So it's been I six think years. Ann Coulter did too. At U of yeah, she yeah. did. Um, so this is my sixth year at the university. I've been pretty active in politics since I was here. I was the college Republican president a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, I've been involved with Young Americans for Freedom for that amount of time as well. Um, and so it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's wonderful when we have the university community and the alumni community who is just astronomical in size. And and they come out and they support groups like us. Um, the outpouring of support that the, the alumni community have given us, especially during this petition, has just been unbelievable. Um, and so when we have all these alumni coming in, calling the university, telling them they're not going to donate another dime because they cannot believe that their alma mater is doing this right. kind of stuff, it's been amazing. But it's generally probably more alumni than professors. Yes, definitely. So uh, professors, especially during, in the undergraduate program, um, are much more left-leaning. Uh, they're very intolerant of anything that's outspoken and do you ever do you ever fear i know i did but i was i was also in montreal you know which is a socialist province yeah so it's expected you know we don't have conservatives we have liberals and we have liberal separatists right um so this was my case but do you ever fear speaking up for for your grades sake um so in undergrad that was definitely a thing uh i know for sure i've been my grades have definitely taken a hit because of it. Right. Maybe not so much in law school. Um, in law school, it's a lot different in terms of the ability to speak out. But in undergrad, I think it's pretty common at the University of Michigan and at other public universities uh, for students not to be able to say what they want to say. For instance, uh, I'm sure you've heard the story about professor and dean student Doug, uh, Susan Douglas. She wrote the I Hate Republicans um, right. column. And well, naturally, so, we all do. Right. And so uh, I think it's hard for kids to be able to speak out in a class like that or express anything that might be out of line with her opinion because they're so worried about what's going to happen with their grades. It's happened to me. I know for sure I've taken a hit. And it's really unfortunate that people have been stifled. They're not allowed to speak out in an academic setting where you're supposed to be hearing differences of opinion. You're supposed to be educating yourself on these issues, but you can't actually get both sides of the story. And it's extremely unfortunate. Well, there you go. Rachel Jankowski was born a poor black woman. We will be back on Louder with Crowder after this break, which Fundip is not even ready for because we wanted to be able to wrap this up in a nice bow for us. And we'll be seeing you out there tonight at the showing. Rachel Jankowski, Louder with Crowder, world exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You've got it on Louder with Crowder. We are back with our wonderful, lovely guest, Rachel Jankowski, the hero who got American Sniper back on the U of M campus. She's nodding her head no. Like, I'm not trying this false humility. I'm not the real hero. It's Chris Kyle. That's right. That's right. It's Chris <laughs> Kyle. Don't call me. What's always funny is when nobody, you know, someone comes in and goes, don't call me a hero, folks. And you're like, clearly nobody did. <laughs> you're the only one. Right. Um, Fundip does that every morning. He walks in. Do not call me a hero. Like, Fundip, leave. Order me a hero. Order me a hero. Um, 
So, Rachel, you feel like you seem like you've done this before. Have you done a lot of radio? Oh, I've been on the radio a few times. There's yeah. been a lot of controversy at University, University of Michigan. So, of this course. is true. And they don't like me there. I'm not surprised. They at don't all. like me at all. No. We actually had one guy last video, we did the free speech video, tried to complain that he was going to get it removed from YouTube um, because he didn't like the. And what's funny is it was in the free speech video. Yeah. And it was the guy who was actually reasonable, who was like, I don't think these kids do their research and they don't know what they're talking about. And wow. these words don't seem offensive to me. So, like, we never I – mean, obviously, we edit all videos. Right. But we don't edit people who are conservative to look liberal or liberal to look conservative. And he was like, I'm going to have my – I have my lawyer on retainer. And we were like, this was a public location. Right. And you, you gave us – You agreed to do it. Yeah, and you agreed to do it. First right. off, even if you don't agree to do it, we can tape you. Mm -hmm. And you agreed to do it. So it's it's always weird when you do that stuff, man. People just complain at university. Like you said, they're they're so you were thinking of actually what? Giving out what tonight? Pacifiers or blankets. Anything. Uh, to, to represent to represent the coddling of the University of Michigan because we can't handle anything over PG. You know, Paddington Bear, it's good enough. Cat, Paddington Bear. I mean I don't It's gonna offer a great dialogue. Come on. Yeah, Paddington Talk about, Bear. I don't know, English bears or something. Well, so. the necessity of a raincoat. With That's the true, especially here with all this rain. Or... Well, the acid rain because of global warming. <laughs> You're right. So it's all coming back. Fracking. Let's blame fracking. I have not seen Paddington Bear the film. Okay? I have not either. Um... I am willing to bet. Fun up. She can't hear you. No headphones. So let's 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 keep your dialogue to a minimum. I love that movie. Get her car service to get her back to the campus going. Um, Paddington Bear. I've never seen it. Okay. You can tweet me, folks, at S. Crowder if you have questions for Rachel. I would bet dollars to donuts. Paddington Bear probably has some environmental message. There might be. I or anti-business message. Maybe. Maybe. But I actually just think it was the university having a good time. Just saying, hey, look, if you can't handle it, we'll just give you this PG movie, family fun entertainment, go for it. So, so you think it was a screw you from the university? I don't know. I think it's a little It's a little funny. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they, that's what they wanted to show. But uh, it seems a little ironic. Yeah, I don't know why they would pick Pat. Well, there is the Build-A-Bear thing going on. So maybe they try to tie it into the Build-A-Bear. Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe they're just horrendous people. <laughs> that's always, there's always a possibility. I mean, we were talking about this today. Do you feel on campus with young liberals? Uh, I mean, how old are you? Uh, 23. Okay, so we're not actually that far in age. You know, no. I'm 27. So okay. um, when I speak at Young America's Foundation, which is where you you you're in, you do work with them? Yeah, so I used to intern for Young America's Foundation, and now I'm a part of – I'm an advisor to the Young Americans for Freedom at right. the University of Michigan. Okay, there you go. So, mm -hmm. folks, Young America's for Freedom, support her work. Uh, look them up. And um, the one thing I've, I've noticed, and you tell me if I'm wrong, does it seem like young liberals now are so aggressive? Uh, yeah, I mean, especially on university campuses, I think – uh, especially at the University of Michigan, it's such an activist campus. It always has been. And so they feel like they have free reign to do whatever they want. And the university tends to kowtow to them. Um, and it's pretty unfortunate because that's when freedom of speech is stifled. And so right. when groups like this go out and they say that this video shouldn't be shown because it might be offensive, that's when it's pretty alarming. Um, and when President Schlissel, uh, the new president at the University of Michigan, came in during his inauguration, he had talked about this. He talked about how he wanted openness for, of dialogue. He wanted people uh, to actually see the other side of things because it might actually, instead of uh, instead of offending people, it might actually start a dialogue. Right. And so I was really excited when he came in as president. Um, and so it's kind of been disappointing to see so many of these stories come out lately that seem to stifle freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Um, and so it was really great that the university came out and actually backtracked on this one. I, I, I always say this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know it was true for me, again, being raised in a socialist province. Do you feel like conservatives, because they're constantly swimming upstream and fighting, 
every, put it this way, it's really easy to be a liberal in college, right? For sure. It's just yeah. the default position, your professors, everything you watch, all the music you listen to. Do you feel like conservatives, and I know there's going to be some bias here, do you just feel like they're more informed on the actual issues than liberals on campus? I think they have to be informed. In order to actually form an opinion, they're not going to get it, they're not going to be indoctrinated in the classroom, right. uh, which is what happens at these universities. It's so much liberal indoctrination. So it's very easy to kind of just fall in with the rest of the crowd, um, hear something, and just kind of take it as truth, which is what was so scary about this petition. Um, going back, this this letter that they sent said Chris Kyle is a racist and he's a mass murderer. And if you take that as true and you do not denounce it at all, it just seems like now, that's was the this, truth. Was this written by the Muslim? This was written by them, yes. And it was sent into the university and the university didn't say anything against it. Well, again, that's so telling to me. Chris yeah. Kyle wasn't a racist. Chris Kyle was anti-Islamic terrorist. Mm -hmm. So for them to say he's racist is to put all Muslims, all, I guess, Arabs in the same playing, in the same level as Islamic terrorists. They're basically saying we identify enough with Islamic terrorists that it's offensive to us. That to me is kind of nutty. Yeah, it's a little scary. Um, so I would think you'd want to distance yourself from those radicals uh, and actually denounce them rather than people like Chris Kyle. So. Yeah, I, I, it's it's pretty crazy to me. I mean, I, I've, I've never read anything. Chris Kyle liked to tell stories, you know, what what Marines or um, Navy SEALs don't. But uh, I've never seen anything from him that was outwardly racist. I mean, you know, there are plenty of obviously black people in his in his uh, divisions, platoons. And I, I don't know the exact terminology, but um, you have the right to your own opinion. You don't have the right to your own facts. And so right. if you want to say that, you can. Um, but the university should not be accepting that as truth. And that was what really bothered me. Well, this is why I say you're a hero. Um, and I, I, I say it kind of obviously sem semi-facetiously, but not really. Because if you didn't do this, right, you're lucky you have a coach there who's got a brass pair now. Um, probably wouldn't have happened before this coach. If you didn't do this, right, the Chris Kyle's a racist. We don't want this movie being shown. Accepted as fact by the university, nothing would have happened. Yeah, I it would mean, have stayed the same way, and, and all students would assume, right by proxy. Well, if the university says endorses this letter and statement, it must be true, and then they go on the rest of their life thinking Chris Kyle's a racist. Yeah, it's not that they necessarily endorsed it; it's that they just never did anything um, to speak out against it, or that they never said we're not accepting this letter as truth, but we're going to cancel the movie for whatever reason that they wanted to. Right, um, and that's it's really concerning. And uh, what really concerns me even more is that. There are a even smaller minority on this campus, and it's the veterans. And the, to sit there and, and kind of not say anything, it makes them feel as if they're unwelcome on this campus. We had actually a vet go in and speak to the, to the university about it, and they actually said they had never even thought about that opinion. And that's what really bothered me because I'm like, these people went and fought for this country for your right to, to speak, for your right to show this movie, right. and you don't even think about their opinion, how it might affect them. Um, and, I mean, they need to be honored, and it, it's really unfortunate that it happened. It is unfortunate, and what's more unfortunate is, is I mean, they, well, I don't want to say more, they're equally unfortunate, is that that really is, we use the word narrative, and it's often o overused in politics, but that narrative is allowed to be set if the university doesn't even so much as say, hey, we'll, we'll acknowledge your request to not play the film, but to call him a racist is inaccurate, we need to correct this. They didn't do anything like that, and like you said, you can only have so much of that day in and day out on a campus where that happens, where all liberals, all professors are liberals and it can affect your grades, where every single protest is liberal, where every single film and obviously the, the, the media and entertainment industry is liberal, before you just start taking that as default. Mm -hmm. And that's what concerns me. There yeah. really isn't another voice at the table. Right. And if you look at the American public, how successful American Sniper was, I mean, it, there's a huge divide, not only between politicians, but it seems like academia 
and average America. And most of these Americans, you know, they've gone to college, but yeah. they've moved on. They've become conservative. Do, do you notice, like, let's say when you go back home, and we don't have a lot of time, but you go back home to your family, um, that it's like there's school life and this is the opinion and then there's America and it's kind of divided? Oh, absolutely. I think Ann Arbor is a little bubble and the University of Michigan is a little bubble. And when these students go out into the real world, they're going to be completely shocked. I don't think they're going to be able to handle jobs in their life because right. if they're so shaken up about a movie that they were not even required to see, if they didn't like it, they didn't have to go. If they're that bothered by it, how on earth are they going to be able to cope in the real world? And I'm not sure. Like It's it's, it's scary. It's scary the university is trying to coddle these children until they're, what, 22 years old and they graduate and then throw them out in the real world. I mean, how well, they don't even they? want them. They want them to stay in their parents' plan until 26. Yeah, that's true. There's, so. there's a syndrome now called second adolescence where people, you know, they used to go on and have families at my age and get married yeah and get a job get a job mm -hmm. and now people are just partying until you know college for a lot of people is four years of glorified alcoholism but now that goes well into the 30s with people yeah so it's it's scary and do you see that how do you see that changing uh how do i see or what ca what can people do to change it i mean i think that People need to expose themselves to other viewpoints. And if we're on a Not campus... Not the kind of exposing themselves fund it does <laughs> on the subway. If we're on a campus that preaches diversity, then students should actually be, be exposed to diverse ideas. That's where groups like Young Americans for Freedom come in. They bring in speakers like you, Stephen Crowder, or they can bring in um, the alternative viewpoint so that students can actually be exposed to something that's not what they hear every day in class. Um, and so I think it's going to be hard for... For people to go out and actually do something on their own um but we're glad that we have groups like this that alumni will support those groups and we ask that you absolutely and we talked about that in the video on campus they want all different kinds of diversity except for that of intellectual diversity rachel jenkowski we will see you later this evening thank you so much for coming on thank you so much Stephen. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to SimplifiedWine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. So glad to have this next guest here on Louder with Crowder. When I've sub-hosted other shows... I've always had uh, this lady on. One of the creators of the GoFundMe campaign, actually creators for the film, GosnellMovie.com, the most successful Indiegogo, independently funded film ever, of course, about the crazy abortion doctor, uh, has done so much good work on the side of, of climate change. Frack Nation is a film I highly recommend you watch. Thrilled to have Anne McElhenney. Did I get that right on the program? 
Brilliant. Yes, and it's great to be here. Thanks a million, Stephen. Uh, we're so glad to have you on. And um, so what's funny is what, what started this was I got an email. So let's start with this. You did Frack Nation, of course, which is a, a rebuttal to Gasland. For those who are listening to Rest Truly, go to ladderwithcrowder.com. We'll have the links watching on YouTube. We'll have an annotation, uh, propaganda film. You did Frack Nation. And I sent you this link that someone sent me of a guy in front of a city or state legislature daring them to drink fracking solution water, but it's a gimmick that caught a bunch of traction with the left, and I knew it was BS, so I figured you could give me a clear answer. Let's start off with that. You know, you know, one of the things, I, I talk to groups about fracking all the time, and I go around the country, and one of, the, one of the, my kind of shticks is, who are these people? Who are these anti-frackers, you know? Right. I'll tell you who they are, Stephen. These are people who lied about breast cancer. So this is the kind of person we're dealing with here. These are people who made a film called The Sky is Pink, the same man who made Gasland, put out a film, it's on the internet, where he said that in the area around Fort Worth in Texas, a very heavy development area for fracking, that there was a rise, that there was a rise in breast cancer. You know something, when people start mentioning breast cancer or cancer in general, we're all kind of, all the laughs are done. We're all very serious. None right. of us have escaped it. None of us haven't got a family member who has died because of cancer. And guess who these people are? That guy, you know who he's part of? He's part of people who lied about that. And it's not an opinion. This is the Texas Cancer Registry said it's nonsense. There is no evidence of that. There is no spike in breast cancer in the Fort Worth, Fort Worth area. And this is who these people are. This is what they do. And I mean, we make a bit of a laugh about it because every day... They accuse fracking of doing something else. You know, you know, I've got eczema. My husband doesn't fancy me. The donkey died. The donkey didn't die. I wish the donkey would die. You know, I've got a funny itch. I've got a funny this. But then they're kind of funny, serious about it. And they say things like cancer. These are liars. These are bad people. Here's right. the truth. Fracking's a miracle. Um, you know, isn't it just extraordinary? You know, like, you know, what do we need? We really need energy. And the absence of it is death. And guess what? We're not doing death, Stephen. We're not wanting death. Who wants that? You know, in places where they live an organic lifestyle and have no energy, people live to be 40 if they're lucky. So, right. you know, my father died at 95. I think energy is a great thing and we want more of it and reliable energy. Solar panels are great. Wind, great. I'm all in favor of all of it. It just doesn't work right now. So right. in the meantime, when we've got our children in hospitals, we want reliable energy and you know, we're going to get that from oil and gas. It's right. simple as that. And coal, by the way. Sure. So I'm all for that. But I wish the people who are against fracking would just be honest, just tell the truth. And it's really disturbing to find that well, they would lie about quick. something like breast cancer. Real quick. You have been paid by big oil, correct? Yeah. All the people who paid me, can you can find them. You can look at them, you can look at them and find their names. We did a crowdfunding campaign for Frack Nation. We got over almost a quarter, more than a quarter of a million dollars, I think, right. um, from about 3,000 people. And all their names are there. So you can look them all up. Ordinary people from around the country and around the world, 26 countries, I think it is, that contributed. Uh, regular folk, that's who made the film. And we're so grateful to them. Uh, for doing that. You and know, it's an incredible film, by the way. I mean, I, I, it's one of those films where, I mean, you know, with shows and promos and your, your husband is such a sweet guy, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had seen it at all the CPACs, but not the full thing. And then when I finally sat down and watched the whole film, I called him right away. I said, Philip, you have to tell me how I can help with it. This is un unreal. My wife watched it all the way through, and she usually gets bored to tears with these things. Um, it, it's one of those deals where, you guys don't just do the sting. You know, the, oh, we got you, you look stupid. 
you actually educate the audience and really get to the bottom of, of the issue with fracking, which is jobs, saving lives, basically yeah. a death sentence for people in third world countries. Now, your transition was interesting. A lot of people don't know this. You weren't always this way. Tell yeah. our listeners who might not know how you came to be on this path. I, I like to say to people, you know, I used to be a liberal, but I'm okay now. <laughs> um, so I used to, I mean, I used to have all those default positions that people have, you know, big oil companies are evil, you know, uh, McDonald's is evil, Starbucks are somehow something bad, you know. Um, and, I, you know, that's kind of a, it's kind of a lazy um it's kind of a lazy position to have if you're concentrating a lot on drinking beer and partying, you know, and it's kind of like, fine, you know, I'll go along with all that and save right. the whale and whatever. Just I don't want to wear the, the sandals or get facial hair. But, you know, and you got, I kind of was that kind of person. And then, you know, I, I, I started I work. I was living in Romania. My husband was a correspondent for the Financial Times and I was a freelance journalist just doing whatever stories would come up. And a story came up about a gold mine in Transylvania, you know, which actually exists. And yes, Dracula did, did live there for a time. Um, and, you know, we went up to cover the story. And we had a story written <clears throat> before we went there. We had it written in our heads, you know. Obviously, evil gold mining company, Canadian evil gold mining company, innocent locals, innocent natives being taken advantage of. And it was just one of those really weird things where we just started asking people questions. And we spoke to the people from Greenpeace. We spoke to the locals. We spoke to the evil Canadians and found out that the story that was being reported by the BBC, by the New York Times, by CNN, it was nonsense. Right. First of all, the locals loved the mine. Uh, the mine was, had, had surpassed all standards for environmental rules. Um, everyone was in favor of it except for two foreigners, foreign environmentalists. And the locals, basically, the village was dying without the, with the mine. Um, and I just, I, came, I went up a mountain one way and I came down another. And the, the, the kind of the moment that really galvanized me was I met an 86-year-old woman who was living, who, was, who had come to visit a model house that the Canadians had built and said, look, you, if you give us your house, you can live in a house like this. And she was crying and she said, and I thought, oh, here's our story. Here's the woman who's being abused right. by the Canadians. we got to go and I said, real quick, so go ahead. What's your problem? I, I said, why, why are you crying? And she said, I, I hope I live long enough to live in a house like this. And she didn't because uh. of two foreign environmentalists. Uh, heartbreaking, but we'll bring you back and then we'll have a laugh on something else. <laughs> and McElhinney, <laughs> louder with Crowder. You're a strange animal. That's what I know. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. But you're a strange animal. So glad to have Miss Anne McElhinney back. GosnellMovie.com. Please go donate. They do great work. We were talking during the break. My wife was calling. My phone was blowing up. If you heard it on air, uh, our dog is a little bit sick. And it's actually a dog who's banned, a breed that is banned over there in the UK. I'm not a big fan of those breed bans. So. I, I, I'm, I'm terrible. I don't, know. I, I, I don't know much about dogs. I'd like to have one when I grow up. <laughs> well, he's a doggo Argentino, and so they look at him and they think he's, you know, like a, a, a pit bull had a, a baby with a nightmare. He's just huge. But they actually send them out. They hunt in packs with dogs. So they're not bred for fighting at all. They're actually very, very dog-friendly, very people-obedient, but very animal-aggressive. Like cats or squirrels, he just he cannot stand. But otherwise, he's the gentlest dog going and uh, can't have one of them in the U.K. Again, because government doesn't get the full story, they decide, we're going to breed bands. Uh, band breeds. Uh, so before you left, okay, we were talking about Frack Nation. You gave us some, some information, obviously that's important, but I wanted to talk about this one specific video that's circulating where this guy goes in front of some municipal legislature and says, hey, do you guys want to drink this fracking water? So I thought, oh, oh, okay, here's some proof that fracking contaminates water. He's just going to pour some water from his faucet and tell them to drink it. 
because everyone was sending this like wildfire. That's the title. People, you know, city officials or state officials won't drink fracking water. But what he does is he takes a cup of perfectly good water and then adds a bunch of chemicals into the water, mixes it up and goes, huh? Huh? Will you drink that? Will you drink that? I don't exactly know why that's BS. I'm pretty sure that's not how fracking works. And correct me. Yeah. I mean, the fracking fluid is 99% uh, water. Then there's a percentage of sand, basically a corrosive so that they can, you know, so when they're doing this fracking, which is putting this liquid at a very high pressure down into the earth, that it can actually, you know, corrode and make, you know, release the, the hydrocarbons. And there are chemicals. There are chemicals, by the way, in the fracking fluid. You know, water itself, of course, is a chemical that not a lot of people know about. Um, and there are chemicals. A lot of the chemicals that are in fracking fluid are the kind of things that you'd find under your kitchen sink and you're not that alarmed about. Um, you know, there's things like there's guar, which is this, uh, an element that's used in ice cream making, actually. Um, yeah, and protein, protein all, powders and stuff like that, too. It's like yeah, a, it's absolutely, a filler. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, if you were to eat any of those elements, uh, you know, a massive, massive quantity of them and, do, and eat nothing else over time, yeah, you probably would get ca cancer. So they call them carcinogenic. But they're a tiny, tiny. The, the amount of them is so tiny that it couldn't do any damage. I mean, there are carcinogens in cabbage. But I, those kind of stunts, by the way, those stunts of having this liquid and saying, oh, my God, would you drink this? It's just very cheap and it's theatrical. It, it makes good press, but it's not honest. This is not honest. Right. And I don't understand why people don't have an honest conversation about this when we do need energy. Right. We do need energy. Well, let me ask you this. So I want the environment to be to be clean. You know, I, I don't think we should be tossing all over McDonald's cups out the window. Um, how would the cleanliness of energy from, say, fracking compared to the cleanliness of energy uh, extracted in oil fields, let's say, in Saudi Arabia, then transported to the United States? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's a pretty big carbon footprint in that, actually, if you're going to be transporting that all the way from Saudi Arabia. Um, I, you know, the standards here, the environmental laws that exist here in the United States far surpass any other country in the world and certainly would surpass Saudi Arabia's environmental standards. So I don't understand why we're not going for our own energy source, which is local, organic, indigenous. It's, our, it's, it's, you know, it's right here under the ground. Why aren't we using our own energy? Um, I can't understand it yet. And we have used it successfully. And it's even funny here in California. You walk on a beach in Santa Barbara and your feet go black and it's not pollution. That's how much oil is just seeping up through, through the sand. We're meant to be using this. Really? Is that now? Is that is that true? Am I going to go? Am I, that's... I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you how weird it is, Stephen. I thought this was the f funniest. I was asked to make a speech in Santa Barbara, and I they put me in a very nice hotel. Thank you very much. Well, there are no and there are no the bad bathroom, hotels in Santa Barbara. No, no. Barbara. I, actually, you're right. In the bathroom, I found a thing that I've never seen in any bathroom anywhere in the world. They have a um, little a little thing in a packet, and you open it, and it's for remo tar removal to help you remove the tar from your feet when you've walked on the sand because your feet will be black, and it's really hard to get it off. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I remember when I was a kid, I, it might have been the fifth or sixth grade, I had to do some project, uh, this was in Canada, of course, uh, on saving the tar sands. And I didn't think anything of it, and so I wrote about, you know, the reason to save the tar sands. And then I remember thinking when I was in high school, I was about 15 or 16, thinking, why the hell do I care about the tar sands? They're tar sands. I mean, I get, you know, save the weeping willows, save the, you know, the endangered... German short-haired sparrow, I don't know, making up terms. I was going, the tar sands, it would seem to me that a tar sand would exist for no other purpose if not to extract tar. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, but also, by the way, it's not the tar sands. They're called the oil sands, but uh, environmentalists like to misname things as well, just to try and make people get very alarmed. Well, I mean, we, did, very we did say tar sands, though. I don't think I'm mis... So are you saying well, that's... They, they all say... That's what the environmentalists say. The environmental movement calls them tar sands. Okay. But people in the oil and gas business call them oil sands. And it's marvelous. God, Canada, what, how great, how great that our nearest neighbor, who don't behead women, funny enough, who don't stone women, funny enough, that those people would have this incredible supply of oil. Yay, isn't that great? And they allow women to drive cars and everything in Canada. That's right. how weird those Canadians are. So I think <laughs> getting oil from them is a great idea, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, here's the truth, and I've always talked about this. When people say the United States is an evil English empire, I say, okay, I'm from Canada. The fact that a country like Canada, one of the biggest countries geographically, I think it is the biggest next to China, um, in the world, one of the most rich in natural resources with virtually no national defense whatsoever, that they're allowed to exist with America to the south yes. is proof that it cannot be. In, nowhere else, by the way, in the history of the world, you go as far back as if there is a country as rich in resources uh, like Canada and there's one world superpower like the United States, by 2 o'clock, Canada's America. That's um, very good. I never heard anyone say that. That really makes sense. God, the Canadians are lucky. The other place that's very lucky is Australia. It's true. Australia and Canada have a lot in common. Very, very rich countries with very tiny populations. Yes, except Australia has all the rapists, so they've got a... I mean, when you're starting off with the civilization of <laughs> criminals... We have... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the Australian <laughs> listeners. We get so many Australians. I will say this. It's the one place where uh, you don't get this rampant anti-American sentiment that you get yes. with a lot of places either in Europe or... Yeah, or they're, uh, my, they're, my, they're my people. Are they your people? Have they been really um, accepting? Have you noticed of your message and things like yeah. that? Oh, they just love us. They so love us in Ireland. It's frightening. Yeah, not, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite, quite, quite weird. Yeah, no, I've had some, I've had some very um, super aggressive correspondence with people from Ireland. I have to say, what, what, is, what is it about the Irish that they don't like you? I mean, they, you know, uh, they seem to really embrace their own. If an Irish person makes it in the states, they tend to reclaim them as their own. Yet they, they seem to not be doing that with you. No offense. Well, I think it's a, it's a, I think it's, it's a liberal issue. It's rather than anything else. I think if I was, um, if I was singing their tune, uh, they'd like me a lot. But I'm not singing their tune, so it's, um, it's a bit aggressive. Well, let me, let me ask you this: With the Irish, are, are there any actual conservatives? In Ireland? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. But it's a small minority. Well, certainly, it's not, sorry, that's not right. There obviously are lots of conservatives in Ireland, but they're not represented at all in the media. And okay. the media is predominantly, like more than predominantly liberal. So people don't even get to hear another story. They just get a, a very a very biased uh, version of the news. Right. Well, that's and it's very restricted. It's very, re it's very restricted what they get access to. It makes me realize like how incredible uh, talk radio is here, how amazing that is, that people have these options and the fact that Fox News exists here. You know, it's, it's quite amazing because, um, you know, otherwise, otherwise people are stuck with this version of the world of ABC, NBC, CBS and, what it, and whatever they say just is, goes. And that's the only thing that any, anyone ever hears about. But the Internet has done something very wonderful about that. That's absolutely true. Well, hey, if we were still back in those days, people would believe that Brian Williams was shot down in a helicopter. So. Oh, I just love Brian Williams. I'm so happy about Brian Williams. I just love, and I love the idea that somebody called Super Mexican, that Super Mexican, who I gave a shout-out to the other day, like Super Mexican really brought down Brian Williams. And Brian Williams, what, the beautiful irony of this is that Brian Williams was very disparaging of people like Super Mexican, who he described as Vinny. In a Vinny in a in a in a bathrobe in a sad bathrobe, in you know in an apartment in the in the Bronx 
And he made he had this whole thing about people, these awful people on Twitter and on social media. Yeah, guess what, Brian Williams? Those people in their bathrobes took away your $10 million a year job because they did a better job of investigating journalism than you could do or than anyone else could do. That's a really good point. And do you feel like it's the same thing, I guess, sort of in reverse with the environmentalism, where if someone comes out and says what you say, it's as opposed to Vinny in the bathrobe, it's, well, this person is someone who clearly works for big pharma, big oil, or they're part of the Monsanto crew. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you ever get a liberal? I mean, I've never, the guy from Frack Nation has still never actually acknowledged you guys. Uh, not Frack Nation, sorry. From, uh, from Gasland. Gasland. Right. He, he still just really wants to avoid it. And I get that sometimes, you know, I have certain people who I'm like, oh, I'm not going to debate with them because, you know, you can't change minds. But you, you're you both very sensible. Um, has he tried to do that with you and say that you're paid off by somebody? Or what's the dynamic there? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that, you know, if you've got nothing else to say, then that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good one. Throw that one at people uh, and see if it'll stick. You know, I mean, that, yeah, he certainly has tried. I think he has said that. But at this stage, it's, I'm, I'm weary with it. You know, I'm weary with these people who live these lives fueled by oil and gas and then denounce oil and gas. He flies around the world, this guy. He makes a big deal about how many countries he travels to. Doesn't he wear big plastic hipster glasses? Petroleum? Totally. Yeah. To- 100%. I know. You take away petroleum from that guy and he'd be left naked with a little leaf on his front, which, uh, yeah, we're not even going there, Stephen. No, I, well, I, think it, I think you'd be looking at more of an acorn. I think at that point when you've ceased to be a, act like a man for so long that your, your nether regions just shrivel up and die. I want to get to something here before we go to the break. And we'll, we have to have you on for a third segment. But you said something that stuck with me, and I've tweeted it out. And I'm not an Oprah soundbite person. But you crystallized something perfectly, and you may not even have remembered it. It was at some college. It wasn't even like a giant crowd. It was something that most people would miss, and some girl was critiquing you. Talking Temple. About... Temple in Philadelphia. Okay, there you go. Um, and she mentioned you know, the scientific consensus, and you said something that was brilliant, that science is not governed by consensus. Let, how about you say it? We've got one and a half minutes for you to say this. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people on the, cl- the climate alarmist side say things like, it's, it's all settled. It's all done. It's all done. The science is settled. Everyone agrees. 97% of scientists agree. I said, it never, science has never worked like that. It's never worked by committee. The boiling point of water is not a committee decision. You and I can't get a, a 12 guys together in a room and make an agreement about, about and say things, that's going to be how gravity works from now on. It doesn't work like that. So this idea that a great number of people agreeing on something will affect what's, what the truth is in science, it's utter nonsense. It's not a democracy. Science is not a democracy. Truth is not a democracy. One person saying that the, that the earth is not flat was the, was the right guy. The consensus was that the earth was flat. These p- global warming people are actually aligning themselves with flat earthers by saying that a crowd agrees. I think it's an extraordinary thing. It's not how science advances. And any scientist who speaks about a crowd, he's not a scientist at all. Jeez. Mic drop. You don't even have a microphone. You can't drop your headphones because then you couldn't hear me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, it's, but it's true. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible thing to do. And I remember, oh, you know that amazing writer, um, the guy who wrote for ER, that beautiful doctor who died of cancer, whose name I won't remember. He said... And then the Gasland um, guy lied about it. Consensus, consensus is the last refuge of scoundrels. Mm. Uh, On a side note, before we go to break, because I realize we don't have enough time to really get into that, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Michael Caine... From your neck of the woods, one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite films, Ladder with Crowder. We'll be back with Ann McElhinney. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. 
Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Back with our lovely guest, Anne McElhinney. I, ca- I have to say it in the, preju- I guess, in a stereotypical Irish way, because otherwise I can't say it very well with my mealy-mouthed uh, Canadian-slash-Midwestern accent. So we were talking about science. Okay, before we go into the next segment, science is not governed by consensus. It's governed by truth. And put that in a bumper sticker. Um, you've done obviously Frack Nation. Now you're going on to this, you know, Gosnell movie. It's it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. The biggest Indiegogo funding campaign of all time for an independent film. It broke, yeah, it broke all their records at the time um, for a, for an independent film, absolutely, and certainly, yeah, and and it broke all records for a non-celebrity-led film everywhere. So right. yeah, no, it was a great response, but I, and yeah, yeah, it's just amazing because the story is is uh, is. Is you know, uh, words really fail to describe what Kermit Gosnell did. I mean, language really starts to fail. And it's really interesting as I've worked on it, and I'm actually writing a book about it as well. And as I've worked on it, the only comparison that works for me at all is Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing, the Holocaust is all I can compare it to because, uh, the le- because humanity, you know, wh- one thing that was said in, in Auschwitz that I think is amazing is somebody said, um, where was God in Auschwitz? And uh, a rabbi said, it's the wrong question. The question is, where was humanity? And I found that really helpful with Gosnell because dealing with the people, all of the people that knew what was going on, doctors, nurses, people in beautiful offices in Harrisburg, um, unbelievable numbers of people knew and did nothing. And you have to ask yourself, where was humanity? What, how low can people go? And the, the scenes that happened on a daily basis in his clinic uh, are n- nothing anyone has ever seen in a horror movie can compare. I mean, today I was just reading Steve Massoff was one of the doctors. He had two fake doctors who worked with him, Eileen O'Neill and Steve Massoff. But Steve Massoff is in a category of his own. He had done a medical school training in the West Indies, uh, was unable to get a residency, worked in a restaurant or in a bar, excuse me, in a bar and then accidentally met Gosnell and got a job. His testimony, I have never read anything like the testimony he gave on the stand. Gosnell never defended himself and he never stood, he, he never took the stand. He never, they never called any witnesses. But Steve Massoff was on the stand and he said he ran, he ran around with scissors. He says that he ran because there were just so many of them, so many of these fetuses that were alive, these babies that were alive. And he ran with the scissors and he said the walls, he said the walls, he said the, the walls. The blood flowed down the walls. He said that under oath, under pain of perjury. That's what he said. And you read it and you think, well, I read it and every day I read it and I have to leave the computer and I have to walk out on the beach because I'm thinking, because it, it, it's chilling to think that humanity can get that low. Who, who are these people? And there were eight other people working in there. These women, these collection of women that Gosnell found to do this. And they were all doing it. They all did it. There was babies arriving in toilets, swimming for their lives, swimming. And I'm trying to, in the book that I'm writing, I'm trying to give every baby that I can a story. 
to try to tell the little story they had because they really did live, you know, and they tried in their own way to, to make a statement. And I, and I'm, I'm, I want to chronicle the statements. Baby boy A, the one that anyone listening right now can look up and look at his photograph, that beautiful boy. If you put into Google baby boy A and Gosnell, you'll see that baby born at 30 weeks and three days. And he curled himself up and Kareem Cross, who took to the stand, they said to her, can you stand up? Can you show everyone? And she, she stood up and she curled herself in her body. And that's what this little boy tried to do to try to protect himself. They had a neonatologist on the stand. They asked a neonatologist to explain what it's like to be born at that age. And he said, preemies, they're, they're really cold. They're really cold. And ones that won't survive in hospitals, you know, the, if, you, if they were born and they weren't going to survive in a hospital, that they have to, they warm, they keep them warm um, and, and they hold them and they dim the lights because they find the lights really hard. They find the lights very hard on themselves. So, you know, so, so these children were born alive. Most of them were viable. And they were thrown into Tupperware containers and empty milk cartons. And they curled themselves, this little boy, you know. And, and people just, you know, people were walking by, you know. People were there. And one woman I interviewed recently who had an abortion there, she said the screams were blood curdling. She said, why did no one, why did no one report it? She said the room she was in, the window was open. And she said she woke up during the procedure and her screams were blood curdling. And I'm thinking, you know, it's that, it's that horrific. It's that horrific. And it's like um, lots of people knew. Mm. 17 years and no one inspected it. The Department of Health should all be sacked yesterday right. for allowing that to happen on their watch. And Who you, are these people? And you say that and your husband says that. And you're the ones who are hateful and anti-woman. And that's one of the saddest, um, that's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. I mean, it's one of the most touching stories I've ever heard. And, I, and, and then when you see the fallout of it, just today we saw this quote from Elizabeth Warren saying, the government shouldn't have any involvement to Rand Paul, saying, well, what do you say? What do you say, Mr. Paul? I say, government shouldn't have anything to do with it at any point. Your move. As though it's something to be proud of. And by the way, I was just talking with my producer here who's, um, you know, we've talked about this. You're not necessarily a very religious person. You mentioned that you weren't really big on the abortion issue before this. This is what transitioned for you. Well, my producer here uh, is a Christian and pro-life. And when I told him about the, you know, Barack Obama situation in Illinois, basically was faced with a bill in Illinois where babies like this were surviving abortions and being thrown in basically garbage bins alive. And I think every single person in the state legislature said, okay, we, we have to protect these babies, including Democrats. The only person who said no was Barack Obama. His justification was there was already a law in the books. Well, if that's the case, this, this never needed, even needed to come to the floor. So obviously the laws weren't working. And also, he could have just voted present, like he did on hundreds uh, yes. of other opportunities. But in on this one, yes. he was passionate enough to say, no, these babies surviving abortions do not deserve to be saved. And that's where I say, you know, most people, I believe, are ideologues. Never chalk up to evil what you can probably chalk up to incompetence. But this is one of those situations where even if you don't believe it's a life in the womb, it's very clear at this point that it is. And people who still line up with, ah, the mom can do whatever they want, I say that's as close to evil as you can get. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's... it's um 
it's another it's, it's it's yeah it certainly made me start to think about the nature of good and evil and and where does where does evil come from and all of that i mean it does bring up all those issues but i, I for me it's almost like the the people the people who had had it, the, all the advantages in life you know the people with the beautiful jobs in harrisburg the doctors in hospitals. I mean, and by the way, there were lots of heroes, by the way, lots of heroes who are going to be very much uh, to the forefront in our film. Sure. Um, but all these other people who, who were paid to protect the citizens of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and who shirked those duties and moved paper around and were filing papers and moving papers and putting faxes here and passing things on to their superior. And when they were spoken to by the grand jury, said things like, well, it, was, you know, it wasn't my job and I gave it to Jim and Jim gave it to John. And John gave it to the lawyers and you're listening to them. And at one point, one person in the, in the grand jury, um, uh, Pescatore, Joanne Pescatore said, said to one of these awful people, but people died there. Like Samika Shaw died there. Karnamaya Monger died there. And she went and she literally did this. The woman on the stand, she went, people just, die. Just shrugged. Pe- people die, you know? Yeah. It might, she mightn't feel the same with a relative of her own, you know? Um, but their, their lack of humanity is, is breathtaking. It's just breathtaking. And we just feel that this is why this, the movie is so important and why anyone who's out there that's listening to us, just give us $1. We have 27,000 people have given us money for this film. Right. I would like it to be 100,000. Sure. Because it'll make a big difference with distributors. But also, it's like... Well, that's important to do note. Do you think... Yeah, that's it's, important it's to very note for important. our listener there. It's very yeah. important to note that this isn't just... Is it over, it's over $2 million that you've raised. Yes. But, but it the, comes but from... the numbers are... It comes from 27,000 people. 27,000 people. And I know for liberals who can't do math, like with the, the Memories uh, Pizza, they tried to say it was 30,000... No, the math actually averaged out. It was about $28 on average per donation. Um, here, I don't know what the average is. But for again, that's for true. liberal math, let's just make sure you understand here that means means small donations people care about this before yeah. we go I mean, it's, we have to have you back in where can people go to most effectively fund this yeah they just go to gosnellmovie.com go to gosnellmovie.com and just give a dollar give a dollar and tell us that you know that you think this matters it, it i cannot tell you how much this story matters a great deal there are so many issues that need to, that have yet to be resolved Right. Where the media were, the complete, complete shirking of responsibility by the media, but the shirking of responsibility by so many government uh, agencies is, is it's, it's, and, and no one has, you know, no one's been brought to book. I mean, there hasn't been a huge inquiry in, in Pennsylvania to prevent sure. it from happening again. I think, I, I mean, in my opinion, this is entirely opinion. I think the reason for that is that same reason the woman gave the shoulder shrug. I think this is a physical manifestation of what many people already know happens inside the womb, already know happens with abortion. Um, a lot of those people, if you really pin them down, they understood the science, they would acknowledge it's a life and, yeah, but it's an inconvenient life. I think this is just a more clear cut, hey, it's undeniable. And even then they're going, it's still not important yeah. enough to me. I think, I think the real problem with our story and with the film is that it makes people confront abortion. Right. Because what he did was illegal. He murdered those children. Absolutely. So sure. it's first degree murder. The problem is exactly the point that Kirsten Powers made the point of. If you think that's disgusting, what he did, if you think it's disgusting, well, then why is it that you don't think it's disgusting when it happens inside the woman? Because, by the way, it's completely legal what he did if he had done it in the womb. Completely, basically. Completely legal. And in some parts of America. In some parts of America, you could basically have an abortion right up till the day of your delivery. And that's the law in America. Very few countries can compare with that. And by the way, Europe, which I have a lot of bad things to say about, isn't even anywhere close to the laws that you have here. 
27, 24 weeks in Pennsylvania, even 24 weeks. I remember when, when, when the two prosecutors got this case, they, these two women, they look, both mothers, they looked at each other and said, 24 weeks, that's six months. And I mean, everyone knew who's listening, they, six months, I mean, you're super pregnant at six months. And the idea that you, would, that you are allowed by law to legally kill that baby is quite extraordinary. You already you know? know the personality at six months. My mom can tell you, between my brother and I, <laughs> I was kicking at six. I was almost born at six months prematurely. Yeah. Um, and my brother almost killed my mom uh, when he was born. And then I almost died. You know, whatever pills they had to put my mom on, I was trying to get out. She was going, I could sense Stephen was angsty. He was go, go, go. Jordan was relaxed. And she could tell this before six months. I mean, that's, listen, we won't get it. This is too deep, but that those are the spiritual truths that I believe to be self-evident, that every hair was fearfully and wonderfully created on our head, and that that's a life, the second, I mean, that that's growing in the womb. But regardless, even just from a purely anecdotal uh, perspective, all yeah. mothers will tell you by six months they have 100%. a connection with their baby. So Yeah, but what I, what I think, uh, do we have time for one Okay, more let's, let's give you one I more mean, minute. Just one more minute, because the thing that I think is extraordinary is a lot of the people who are in favor of all these laws, who are in favor of no limits on abortion, are the same people who, when they have decided to have a baby themselves, are playing Mozart. I, I know people myself who think abortion is a great idea. They read Dickens. They read Dickens to their unborn baby. And I'm thinking... Well, hang on. How does that work? Because, by the way, I'm all in favor of the Dickens at any age. I sure. think it's all good. I used to teach literature. I think it's great. And I think the Mozart's a great idea. But you can't have both. Right. You can't think it's okay that you need to have Mozart played to your baby and that it's okay that some, that, that, so that that baby has that humanity that will really love that music, will love all those stories being told. And yet, on the other hand, you're holding the same opinion that it's okay to do to cut the inside of that head of that baby inside the womb and then suck out its brains with a vacuum cleaner right. you know i mean and people i think it's one of the things we're going to do with this film i think we i don't think it's ever been done in a movie before we're going to put on the stand because it happened in the trial an abortion doctor to explain how it's done because people should know absolutely you are right and um little known fact joe biden's mom played beastie boys while he was in the womb and that's why he <laughs> party so i'm sorry we had it was too 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 uncomfortable for me we got too serious but you're absolutely right and thank you so much we have to have you back on the show gosnellmovie.com if you're listening terrestrially go type it in if you're watching online uh, we will put the link in the description gosnellmovie.com and thank you so much we have to have you back thanks so much Stephen. it was great let's do this again you're listening to louder with crowder You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You are so glad to have you back. Rare that we do that two guests in a row, which is the way we worked out this morning. But, I mean, we've had two really awesome, strong women on this show today. Oh, yeah. That and I mean... That Anne interview, you know, she, she got choked up about the Gosnell thing. I mean, that was, it's been a lot of emotion today. You, Anne. I hate admitting it. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, if you could actually... Uh, we'll tweet at S. Crowder if you've been following. I do have a, a, a dog. I'm very close with Hopper, Hoppin' Bear, and he's going in for surgery today. So um, got a lot on my mind today coming in doing the show. I know people who don't have dogs, oh, it's just an animal, but especially with, with, with Hopper, he's a very affectionate, loyal dog. He's, he's not like, and everyone says this, but he's not like any other dog you've ever met. He just loves people. He's so loyal. He does whatever we tell him, whenever we tell him, just because he wants to please. And he's got a growth right now in his eye that they don't they don't know what it is. 
and um, he's going in, and they're going to be putting him under and, and, and removing it and hopefully taking care of it. He's been kind of depressed and lethargic. So anyway, just to get all the emotion out of the way, uh, let's move to something funny. Okay, so I wrote about this at LotterWithCrowder.com, Harry Reid's story about how he hurt himself. There's no way that's true. He talked about hurting himself with resistance bands, and they said in his bathroom. Now, anyone who knows, uh, follows me or, or even my father, we've trained with resistance bands for a long time. I'm a, an advocate of strength training. Since I'm on the road, though, I've often used these resistance bands. They're adjustable from 10 to 300 pounds, and you can put them in a door anchor. And uh, so I know quite a bit about them. Well, when Harry Reid said he hurt himself, the way he described it, I thought, well, that, that wouldn't work unless unless there was a problem with the anchor point. Then we saw the actual layout. We have the pictures of the layout of the bathroom where he was supposedly training in his house, and there is no place to anchor bands. Yeah, it looked like he might have put it on a, on a shower if door. If he put it in a shower, glass shower door, there's no, you'd have to, you're fundamentally too stupid to be using <laughs> resistance bands. Um, or he's, so he's either lying or he's a pansy with like 10-pound bands, but... We know it's completely untrue. Hey, I got to stick up for pansies, though. <laughs> you know, well, pansies unite. Well, if you Google resistance band training, my dad, Darren Crowder, is the first thing that shows up for his Art of Manliness video where he was teaching people how to use them, how to be safe with them, because he's been using them for so many years, and he's, he's in great shape. Um, so now we're finding out that he might have gotten beaten up by his brother, and I just can't get over the fact that, do you know what his brother's name is? No. <laughs> Larry Reed. <laughs> Harry Reed and Larry Reed. Harry and Larry Reed. What are his parents? Cartoon characters? You know what? You know what? They, they do have one other brother that very few people have heard of. Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> I'm Daryl. This is my brother Larry and this is my other brother Harry. Oh, Harry. What do you think? Harry? I don't know. Larry? I just can't imagine it. Harry and Larry Reed. Larry beat the crap out of Harry. It's like it's like Oprah Uma on steroids. Uh I was going to say, I wanted to play this Larry King clip, but I don't think we have time before we go to the break. We're probably going to want to talk about it when we come back. Yeah, it's 27 after right now. Harry and Larry Reed is trending right now National Siblings Day on Twitter. Well, <laughs> these are the siblings at the top of the news. I First off, though, if this is true, uh, someone revealed this from Alcoholics Anonymous that I think Harry came in or his brother came in. One of them was an alcoholic and had, like, bloody knuckles. First off, I don't like that someone revealed that. Isn't it supposed to be anonymous? I mean, <laughs> it's the second A. So I'm like, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that you're giving info that maybe shines a light on Hillary, uh, Hillary, Harry's dishonesty. <laughs> but it's anonymous. That kind of sums up life, doesn't yeah. it? It's it's Alcoholics Anonymous. And secondly. Now, you don't have any brothers, do you, Fun Dip? No, I wish I did. I have really been thinking about that lately, about how I got shortchanged by being an only child. Well, there's the unspoken rule with brothers. You can fight, you can wrestle, you can hit, you can bite, but you never hit in the face, you never punch in the face, you can slap in the face. So for Harry Reid to have a black eye like that, if it was his brother, um, that would be indicative of some pretty serious problems going on. Because oh, yeah. that's a real line you don't cross. Tweet me at S. Crowder, uh, those of you who have brothers, I've always thought that was an unspoken rule, where you can get as mad as you want as your brother. I mean, at your brother, you can talk all you want, you can insult, you can say horrendous things that you'll regret, but you never, ever, ever punch in the face. Yeah, because mom finds out. Mom finds out. So Larry, apologize to Harry. Harry, forgive Larry. Harry and Larry brothers. 
If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to SimplifiedWine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. So glad to have you with us. The final half hour of Louder with Crowder. Louderwithcrowder.com. Follow me on Twitter at S. Crowder. And my insubordinate producer, as always, Fun Dip. Who? Fun Dip Dan. At Fun Dip Dan. Glad to have you with us. So a couple, we've been talking about quite a few things. We were just talking about Harry and Larry Reed. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing still. <laughs> Harry and Larry Reed. I, their parents must have been high or something. There's no way. Turn it up, man. It's Freedom Rock. <sighs> their parents would have been too too old for that. Oh, so they were more like the cocaine era back in the day in the 20s. Yeah, it was cocaine. Cocaine was really. Yeah, I mean, that was you couldn't couldn't find a drink in the roaring 20s, though. Yeah, reefer madness, cocaine, all that. Good no, stuff. no, reefer madness is 50s or something like that. No, they, well, they sure had lousy film stock then. I, th- I thought Reefer Madness was maybe like 40s or something. It was not as back far back as the 20s. There's no way. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. No, nah, you're wrong. So, I don't know. Many of you may have missed this, and you're probably not hearing people talk about this on uh, a lot of conservative radio. That's because a lot of people on the right maybe aren't necessarily that what? 1936. 19- it was in between where okay, both of us we'll thought it was. Okay, we'll split the difference. I'll give you that one. Closer to mine, but... I went over, so 30, Price is Right rules. 36 is closer to the 20s than it is to the 50s. <laughs> I, I said 40s. Whole... I said 40s. You initially said 50s, but yeah, you might have said 40s. And I, I said 40s. I, I said 40s, and I you stuck listening. hard on 20s. You were sticking to your guns. Anyway, um, what we, yeah, so a lot of people in, in conservative radio probably don't watch Jimmy Fallon. Um, they had Michelle Obama on to do this History of Mom dance this last week. Oh, she did that again on there? She did it again. And here's the thing where a lot of conservatives miss this, and they'll say, why do you have to politicize this? Well, this is why it matters. It's not a direct political endorsement. It's it's not saying, hey, vote for Barack. You know, obviously, they don't need to vote for him anymore. It's not an endorsement of the Democratic Party. What it is is it's something that makes her out to be a friend. It, it, hu- it humanizes her. It humanizes. I mean, there's nothing, obviously they're human. We're not it, saying I wouldn't go that far. Well, come on. <laughs> they're lizard people. She peels her head off and she's got these like weird eyes. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, the point is this. Um, it, they've never had Michelle Bachman on to do a dance off. They've never had Sarah Palin on. No late night shows ever did that with Laura Bush. They just cr- they just crapped all over them. You think Laura Bush can dance though? Uh, I probably. 
I bet you Sarah Palin could dance. I bet you Sarah, well, Sarah Palin would dust him on the basketball court. But people <laughs> need to understand this is a soft form of indoctrination. What it is is now you have an entire generation of, like we talked about in college earlier today when we interviewed Rachel from U of M on college. American Sniper can't be shown because it's racist. Okay, that just come, that comes to be accepted. Michelle Obama's great and fun, and she's dancing. Yeah, that's accepted. And by the way, her Let's Move campaign is fantastic. She should be in the first lady should be in control of school lunches. Oh yeah, okay, that's accepted. And by the way, Barack Obama's on Vice. And by the way, and you can only see it so many times where young people are seeing these people in their outlets. They're reaching out to them, and conservatives are missing it. They're staying in their own bubble, only preaching to the choir until you have an entire generational shift of people who've just accepted as a hard rule that liberals are fun, liberals are of the people, and conservatives are, are old, stodgy Republicans. What is interesting, though, I don't consider myself conservative or liberal, but my liberal friends are pretty fun. I mean, they don't go to church, they get drunk and... Good Lord. They're, they're fun. I, I don't know if I would want to get drunk, but I like being around them. Gosh. Well, listen, church doesn't have to be unfun. Um, church. But it, you got all these commandments and stuff. Yeah, but those are, you know what it is? It's like this, let me give you an example. The Sabbath, right? People go, oh, the Sabbath. So then you have people who mess it up, Christians who get legalistic with the Sabbath. They say, don't, do, you know, I had a friend who literally, his parents wouldn't let him go to the movies with me on the Sabbath, but he was allowed to do his school homework. I'm going, because this is the legalism of, oh, the Sabbath, you can't. So what they took it as is, if keep the Sabbath holy means no fun. When the, tr <laughs> the truth is, you know, he went to film school with me. For him, for me, one of the biggest, one of the most relaxing things I can do is go to a film and escape. Yeah. I love it. Uh, one of the most stressful things I could do, something that would be like work, which you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, is, uh, is homework. It has work in the name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But sa the Sabbath, if you think about it, it's... When we know what happens to the human condition without rest, without recovery, you get burnt out. It's a gift from from God, if, assuming you believe in God. But if you actually look at the texts, if you look at the Bible, it wasn't to say, don't shave your beard. It wasn't to say, you know, make sure you, you, you don't do anything fun. It was to say, hey, this is a gift to you. You should rest just as I rested. And so for some people, uh, the Sabbath, if, for example, if you spend all day in a radio studio or if you spend all day working in an office, the Sabbath could very much be going outside and plant, you know, working in your garden because that's what you do to rest. Oh, no way. That's well, too much work. For, well, for someone who's out there working with their hands, who's maybe a construction worker, you know, sitting down and watching a movie, that's their way of resting. What it is is it's a gift and a reminder for God saying, hey, listen, this is good for you. Now, what about, say, spending all day Sunday at strip clubs yeah that's probably not a good idea <laughs> so that wouldn't be that's not the gift that they're that's going probably for. not what he yeah, had yeah. in mind but uh but yeah that's the thing and so people can take that and subvert that you know saying i mean if you look at it don't kill don't steal respect your father and mother these are not rules that are invasive into your life they're they're designed to improve your life the no shellfish thing though that's got to go well if you think about it though they're cockroaches of the sea it's probably not good for you to eat but i don't think a shellfish is a commandment fun dip oh yeah but i wouldn't want to eat lobsters but i like um crab legs okay nobody cares like this couldn't be less relevant <laughs> well do you like crab legs? i do i do like crab legs i like i like shellfish again that's i mean it's and you look at the, there's there are the commandments which are hard and fast rules they're not really invasive rules as a matter of fact 
what, nearly everyone would argue that it would make your life better. Well, I know that those on the far left would say the thou shalt not kill is a real inconvenience. It is. It's a real inconvenience. Especially like Margaret Sanger. Right. Especially or Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who doesn't think the government should ever step in when it involves protecting a child. But... Uh, then there are then there are laws. People go, well, what about the mixing of fabrics? What about well, listen? Those aren't commandments. People have to understand the historical context. So dietary laws were designed really for health reasons. Yeah, pre-fridge era. Yes, and those other laws you have to understand. Like, well, why, why would they say don't shave your beard? Why would they say don't mix these fabrics? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So when that happens, can you interpret the Bible literally? Yeah, it means hey, you you shouldn't mix these fabrics. You shouldn't shouldn't shave your beard. Okay, but why? Well, that's when you look at the historical context. And that's because Israel had surrounding nations who dressed a certain way, who groomed a certain way. And at this point, again, this is the the, the theological argument. God was saying, hey, this is how you're going to put on your team jersey for me. You're going to be different from them. Here are the laws. That's why the fabric laws come into play. That's why the beard trimming laws come into play, to delineate themselves from the other nations who were unholy and wanted to kill them. But doesn't it seem more like something that comes from man? Like they're just kind of writing that down and saying, yeah, God told me to write this down? I mean, I could see why someone would say that. One can always, you can argue that about any, obviously, any faith. Um, and then it comes down to the statistical likelihood of, let's say, prophecies being fulfilled, or maybe predictions in the Bible that came true later on in the Bible. Was the Bible written when it claimed to have been written? Did archaeologists use the Bible to figure out where to dig? The answer to all of those is yes. So at a certain point, you're rolling the dice. You can't know for sure, in my opinion. I just say, okay, I'm going to make the best bet I can. And that's why I bet on that. But I always said because people go, well, if you're against... If you're against uh, killing or if you're against homosexuality, you can't trim your neck. It's not the same thing. It's, it's not. And when people just say, sin is sin, well, it's, it's actually not really true. Yeah, sin is sin, but to act as though there aren't delineations between things that are, are potentially mortal sins or things that were written in the Bible specifically for those historical contexts is very important to make. And uh, so, listen, and I, I'm not, listen, I'm not a theologian. I'm not the, the authority on the issue, but... You know, I do my best to try and explain, hopefully, to someone like you who, um, you know, won't even crack open the Bible. <laughs> well, I used to do it all the time. You know, not when I was in Catholic school, but when I was at that Pentecostal church that I went to in Ohio, I, I read the Bible constantly. Yeah. Well, not that long ago. You know, Catholic Church has a history of, they weren't big fans of people reading oh, yeah. the Bible. My mom was, like, always reading her guideposts, but she never cracked open a Bible. Yeah. And then she prayed to her deceased sisters, which was a little weird. Well, listen, you know, we have a lot of Catholic listeners. God bless them. I think uh, think their heart's in the right place. Obviously, the reason I disagree with some of the theology is that's why I'm not a Catholic. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where people don't understand to delineate between those laws. And there, it, it is important, and it's disingenuous for people who know better to say, oh, well, then just don't trim your beard. Or do you have any fabric blends? You're just as bad as someone who murdered somebody. It's not. It's just intellectually dishonest. We'll talk more about that in actually a little clip that you may have missed with Larry King on a radio show that I think tells you everything you need to know about media and what we thought was unbiased journalism. Little hint, doesn't exist. Louderwithcrowder.com.
you're listening to the strangest animal, Louder with Crowder. Huh. Mm. Sorry. I'm what getting, the heck are you doing behind that the, screen? Getting into the song. Getting into good old Gowan. It, it, that's not what it looked like from here. <laughs> it didn't look like that from here. What are you talking about? It looked like you were looking at something on your computer screen. No, stop it. But although I am calling you on Skype right now so that we can get your webcam recorded live. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm worried about having Skype running while I play the Larry King clip. All right, forget about it. We'll quit Skype. Nobody needs Skype. Who needs it? Who needs Skype? Who needs it? We always need it. Okay, so I do want to set this up for you here real quick. Um... Oh, we're taping on both? Yeah, okay, all right, never mind. Sorry, we're, we're dealing with some technical issues right now. Like I said, my head is in all different places right now with Hopper Squirrel. going into surgery, so um, hopefully he'll be fine. But I want to set this up for you real quick. A lot of, really quickly, a lot of people may have missed this. So this was on um, a guy who I like, a, don't, I don't listen to all of his show, but this clip comes to us from Anthony Cumia's show where he had Larry King on. So we'll get this clip up at ladderwithcrowder.com. But it's something that I think a lot of people would miss and I think is pivotal. Fund it, roll the clip. The host opinions counts. Uh, so we got right-wing radio, left-wing radio. We got uh, Fox News. We got MSNBC. They're both preaching to the choir. Uh, I don't think they have any national impact. I don't think Fox News could elect a president. Do, uh, yeah. I, okay. Did you, now you may not have, did you catch what I just caught? Yeah, that was kind of creepy. Larry King just said, I don't think, forget about Fox News, I don't think a media entity can elect a president. Not, I don't think a media entity should ever try to elect a president. He said it as a condemnation, because let's be honest, it's Larry King, he's not a fan of Fox News, saying, well, Fox News could never elect a president. Meaning, he believes that traditional media the era of Cronkite, the era of King, that they were able to elect presidents. He believes that's the role of media. That is insane. I'm amazed nobody else is talking about this. Now, he's right that Fox News pre you know, preaches to the choir, I meaning conservatives, they do, they have a conservative audience. MSNBC preaches to the choir, they have a certain audience. Um, CNN preaches to the same choir as MSNBC. But to say, I don't believe they can elect a president. And he's saying that as a, it should be a great thing. What, what a real journalist would say is, well, listen, it's a good thing I, I don't believe that media can elect a president. That's not our job. Yeah. That's what they should say. But that's not what Larry King believes. He believes it's the media's duty to appoint president. And that's why the media was so furious with Matt Drudge. When that happened, the Lewinsky scandal, right? What happened with Matt Drudge is they were, it was, this was, you know, all the newspapers, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Matt Drudge was taking this Lewinsky scandal that was buried like maybe page nine in some paper and putting it front page. And that's what blew up the scandal. And the media, again, the media who Larry King believes were able to elect presidents saying, who is this guy putting on, on page one what we put on page six? We didn't want that to get out there because we want to elect presidents. We want to ensure the safety of presidents who we helped elect. Man. Do you realize that with 
the Monica Lewinsky scandal, for example, if you were watching Dan Rather, you didn't hear the name Monica Lewinsky for several weeks after that story had broken. That's it's hard to fathom because it seemed like it was everywhere, but I can't remember what the timeline was. Right. No, it was online and they were furious. Furious that someone like Matt Drudge, some, that's why they, they, they badmouth everyone now, same with bloggers. Ever since Matt Drudge, and everyone of course knows Drudge Report, ever since Matt Drudge, the media has felt that it's, it's, it's the duty of the media to go, oh, some, some blogger, you know, Vinny in the basement. I mean, Ann McElhinney was just talking about that super Mexican, you know, broke some of these stories here over at uh, therightscoop.com. Or when they say some guy on the Internet. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Someone whose program I've done several times. Yeah. And then after I decide I don't want to do the programming anymore, I become some guy on the Internet. That was obnoxious. I, you know, listen, I don't care. I've decided. I mean, we had so many requests from from old TV media this week, and I just I don't do it. The only media I do are, are media that are either my friends, like like Dana, my friend Rick Amato, um, or very liberal shows. Or yeah, show, get on the Tonight Show or something. Yeah, something like, or, or even like, you know, if it were MSNBC, I'd consider it. Somewhere where I think, okay, I can change their minds. It has to be a reasonable platform, though, where I feel like, okay, these people will actually listen to what I have to say. Some liberals are so hateful, it doesn't matter what you say. But but this point here, I mean, it's it's very, very key. Because on the one hand, you have Larry King and Walter Cronkite, who were thought of at one point as, my God, actual journalists. And then on the other side, you have people who seek the truth, like Matt Drudge, like Andrew Breitbart. Now, I try and seek the truth. I'm an entertainer. I'm not a journalist. I've never claimed to be a journalist. But there is a, a line in the sand, and it's becoming more and more clear. And that's why you have people out there who are willing to do the job that the media isn't going to do. Why, why was James O'Keefe, you know, why were James O'Keefe and Hannah Giles able to go into Acorn and every single office except for one were willing to aid and abet underage prostitution. So you're saying, I mean, they went into many, and all of them were willing to. You mean to tell me that no one in media, no one on Larry King's staff, no one on Dan Rather's staff thought to go investigate this organization? People who work, we knew that it was corrupt for years. Everyone who works in the political arena or the media industry knew, like, it was an, it was an ongoing joke, both with conservatives and liberals. But Larry King could they, not one thought. Let's go in and do an investigation. They're too busy investigating, you know, diners where an owner might not be pro-gay. The reason is because they believe the media can and should elect presidents. You hear that here? It seems benign. He doesn't realize what he's saying, and most people don't realize what he's saying. Liberals will go, yeah, he's right. Fox News can't elect presidents because Barack Obama won twice. Well, that's true. That's, he's not incorrect in that. Fox yeah. News, you know, AM rate doesn't have the influence to elect presidents. But that's not the job of media, of journalists. It should never be the job to elect presidents. They should think that that's a great shame hung around their neck if at any point people who are journalists, not opinion editors are trying to elect presidents or affect outcome of politics. I, I, I mean, is it, is, it, is it just me? Well, it's weird because I, I think that Rush brought uh, a, a great amount of power during the Contract with America era. Uh, sure. I had the big poster that he sent out with the Limbaugh letter back then. Yeah. 
of the contract with America, and Newt was everywhere, and I think that Rush directly influenced the entire nation. But he doesn't claim to be an unbiased journalist. Yeah, true. Larry King does. Larry King here in this exact clip is condemning media for not for being biased, right? He's condemning us. They're preaching to the choir. So he's condemning them for having an opinion and then saying, and I don't think they can elect presidents. So in other words, he's saying you should be biased. You should try and elect presidents. Just make sure people don't catch on because then it appears publicly that you're preaching to the choir. This is so pivotal. It, I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, obviously, listen, his ratings were nothing by the time he left, and then they couldn't make Pierce Morgan work. They can't make anything work in the CNN time slots. The only guy who has stuff there, I think, that, that is actually doing well is, is Mike Rowe with his mini, you know, series, because it's interesting, and, and, and he's a guy who people really like, and he also happens to be more conservative. Um, it's, it's one of those things, listener, please go to, go to ladderwithcrowder.com. We'll get this clip up on the website. Or actually, we'll probably provide this in a video cast for you with the clip in there so you can have it all self-encapsulated and send it to your friends. But this is what behind closed doors, every now and then you get a glimpse, right? Because they've been trained through years of college. And in and, and media school, journalism, school where you learn journalism, it doesn't really teach you how to be an unbiased journalist. It teaches you how to present the journalism. And most of those professors teaching it are just as far left as the people here who removed American Sniper from U of M campus. So they're teaching you how to play this shell game of, oh, oh, I'm unbiased, I'm unbiased, here's just the news. By the way, we're going to try and elect presidents. Like Larry King said, he made it sound like that's the ultimate end goal, is for media to elect presidents. So whenever someone tells you they missed the the golden era of unbiased journalism, the era of Walter Cronkite, who said you couldn't be a journalist and, and not be a liberal, Just know that it's all an absolute crock. Everyone has an opinion. Make sure yours is informed.